Welcome to episode 43 of Tin Music, it's a podcast presented by Fangrass from really gray and gloomy DeKalb, Illinois. I'm Kevin Goldstein and joining me, return engagement to the co-host chair from lovely Cincinnati, Ohio. He is the president of the Baseball Writers Association for how many more days? And normally, in normal times, <laughs> of which we do not live, I don't know if you've noticed, in normal times... I would have already passed the gavel oh, that's uh, right. two days ago. And we'll get into that. It may be a week delayed um, for various silly kind of in-the-weeds reasons. So for um, one more week, he is he is the president of the Baseball Association. Hopefully less than a week, but yes. And then and after that happens, we will talk about him as the best president they ever had. And that I is the voice, that. of course, of also with the Athletic covering Cincinnati Reds, C. Trent. Rosecrans, C. Trent, how are you? I'm upright. That's all you can ask for at this point. That is, I kind of feel like that's a good starting point. Um, so look, we pretend this is a baseball podcast. Uh, and when I say we, I mean both you, the listener, and myself. Um, it's mostly is. And obviously there's a, a, a lack of baseball stuff going on. But the show continues. We have some baseball stuff. We had some Hall of Fame stuff. And that's going to be our special guest. Is Who else are you going to talk to the Hall of Fame about than Jay Jaffe? Uh, he's going to talk about the... the uh, he gave me the word I already forgot. It's not the Veterans Committees. The ERA Committees. ERA Committees. Yeah. And and some of the entrants there. And we'll talk a little bit about the current ballot that the, that the writers are voting on. Um, we'll talk about the lockout because we have to. Um, the huge news of the minor league rule five draft, um, do a little winter meeting stuff. And then we'll go into the usual stuff, talk about music and, uh, read your emails and moment of culture and all that kind of stuff. You want to talk about baseball? That's, that's what the people are here for. I, uh, maybe two thirds of them. Um, Uh, and I'll, I'll touch on this actually later in my moment of culture, but a lot of what I love about your podcast, and I've listened to your podcast for way too many hours of my life <laughs> because they're never short and uh for 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 quite a long time um before the hiatus and uh and, and both before and after your your hiatus um it always feels like i'm hanging out with friends and i think that's the best podcast when you're hanging out with friends now it is weird because I consider you one of my friends. Yeah. So it is weird that I do listen to some podcasts with friends as opposed to the podcast I listen to where I feel like those people are my friends. Yes. Podcasts definitely create a parasocial relationship. It, um, I think Twitter does as well. Yeah. I had this discussion the other day. Like there are people who will like make jokes to me and assume that I know they're joking. And I'm like, nah, dog, block. Because <laughs> I don't know you that you're joking. Because I get the people who say the same thing, the tone of voice does not is not conveyed well. Yeah, in, in that medium. 
Yeah, no, I get like the most like very personal touching emails from people and they and they generally do touch me. And it's it's one of the best parts of having the show, actually. Um let's start with the ugly stuff and that's the lockout. Um lockout twenty twenty one update. There is no update. Um I got some questions in my chat on Monday at Fangraph saying like, Hey, is there any chance this might end early and get like a nice Christmas present? And <laughs> Yeah. So no. no. Um, they haven't even I don't talked. have a lot of answers. Yeah, that's, that's a no. my answer. Yeah, um, they haven't talked. The two sides have not talked. There's no reason. I, you know, I honestly don't think they're going to talk the rest of the year. Um, I have. Um, I know that people aren't supposed to be talking to the media, but I've talked to some people, and um, I'm actually getting more pessimistic, uh, if anything, because um, I do think there is some. Um, intractable pieces here all of a sudden and i i've gotten to the point where if i had to bet on it i would bet that we lose some games next year not a lot but i would bet that we end up in a weird spot where like we're not ready for spring training on time and spring training gets delayed and they do a compressed thing and they try to make some things up with double headers but we probably play like 154 or something if i had to bet that's what i bet right now i i i couldn't argue with that i think <laughs> yeah you know, I I go back to last lockout was what nineteen ninety mm. or eighty nine ninety, mm. and and it's kind of famous around here because mm. th- th- there's one great thing about covering the Reds. It's that uh, people don't think about this, but like after a long spring training, for so many writers, it is a pain in the ass that all of a sudden you're gone for six weeks and then you go not from Arizona or Florida to, to home, but you go straight from Arizona or Florida to Milwaukee or right. somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And half the teams have to do that. And most of the teams have to do it every couple of years. The only people who never have to do that, it seems. The Reds. Are the Reds. Right, home opener. Home opener. Well, 1990, lockout, spent... Uh, season opens uh, like a week later. They do a lot of the compressed stuff. Reds open in Houston. Uh, go wire to wire and win, uh, right. win the World Series that year. Uh, but 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 they did start that year in Houston. Um, when back in the old days, kids, uh, Houston was a National League squad, <laughs> and uh, neither did the American League and, and National League did not meet during the regular season. Um, but but yeah, like that happened. That was the last time, and they started at the end. So uh, you know, I get the sense that you know the owners are very locked into. There are absolutely not going to be any sort of real structural changes to the economic structure of the game, um, and that they are as they're dug in enough on that where they're like, yeah, go ahead, we won't play. Like that's fine. Like we're not budget on this one, and so um, it's going to be interesting to see who budges and kind of who blinks, but I, I think we're in a, I'm get the sense we're in a worse spot than I thought we were. So I guess is where I'm at. I, I've ha- having dealt with both sides during uh, this past year in my role. Um, that has not increased my level of uh, optimism. Let's yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, there's nothing to talk about it just in the sense that like they locked him out. They're not talking. It feels like based on some things I've heard and, and things have been reported 
like even those meetings in Dallas in the week leading up to the lockout were absolutely a waste of time for everybody involved. Yeah. Um, and, and that no, um, no substantive proposals were placed uh, by either side, really. Um, and, and a lot of that was just because there were just too many issues that were like, said, they don't even put this in a proposal. We won't even look at it. And so from both sides. And so um, I think we're further apart than I thought. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I still think we're gonna have a 2022 season, but I, I don't think this is going to end. I don't think this is going to wrap up as cute as, as some people think at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And then, you know, um, luckily I'm not too in the weeds on that. That's what we have Evan Drellick for. And um, so I read all of Evan's stuff, and that's really the best way to um, interact with Evan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Evan's just a wonderfully miserable person. Drells is great. Um, he's my favorite uh, adjunct professor. Um. <laughs> um so you know and it's just weird like you know obviously if you turn on mlb network right now you get uh, a 1984 mets braves game um which is what i saw this morning when i turned on my television uh it was just all very strange um, yeah because how did we live without hd oh i know it's also blurry and old yeah and it's like oh black and white looks a lot better mm-hmm. like a game from 1963 looks better than a game from 2003 <laughs> it's that you're it's true um you are uh you covered cincinnati reds that's i your, do that's your primary job did you tweet about the minor league rule five draft that happened yesterday i actually didn't yeah I, i'm so proud of you i was I, I think my favorite vibe of yesterday was watching beat writers tweet endlessly about minor league rule five picks and like hit up their sources to get scouting reports on oh. minor league rule five picks and yeah, you know, I actually had you know a couple teams reach out to me asking me about players and things like that. And, oh, and like, and you didn't are... hear from me because like I could have reached out to you if I gave a shit. <laughs> exactly. Because the Reds took a former Astros second round pick, Ronnie uh, Dawson. Ronnie Dawson. Yep, Ohio State. Oh, Ohio State. Oh, there you go. There's. Yeah. Uh, um. So so yeah. Hey, Kevin, what do you know about Ronnie Dawson? Uh, like super athletic kid. Uh, he's got power. He's got speed, and he can't hit. Um, oh, so he's perfect. Like yeah. that's that's like a um, a traditional Reds uh, yeah. Dominican signee, a Latin yeah, like American a, signee, like right? Or a worse Drew Stubbs, yeah. Um, worse yeah. Drew Stubbs. <laughs> Stubbs, man. Yeah, super athletic. Could really field it. Could really. He's still run. Like, I mean, yeah. If I you, you, some you, power. You know, just do a quick remember some guys here thing, but like if, if I did talk about like the five best defensive center fielders I've ever seen, Stubbs is on the list. Like Dude. he was, re- he was remarkably good in center field. The funny thing with the Reds, they had Stubbs and then Billy Hamilton in center field. Yeah, and you want to talk about the center field where you need those guys the freaking least? Mm-hmm. You know who was between those two playing center field? Shinsu Chu. There you go. <laughs> That's who you can throw in center field in right. American Ballpark and be like, oh well, you know, it's fine. He's fine. He's gonna make four up for it on the offensive end um but then you had those two guys and i just like like and, and Stubbs went there and was okay but and billy was always the guy who's like he should be a rocky he should be a rocky yeah yeah maybe it would have worked out for him i started you know i just remember the first time i ever saw Stubbs. um he's playing for dayton in the midwest league and you know he's playing center field this dude rips one into the gap Stubbs puts his head down runs to a spot 
you know, he, 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 he could really run. He was 70 runner too. Like puts his head down, sprints to a spot, stops on a dime, turns around, puts his head up and catches the ball. I'm like, yeah, I'm in. I did. Yeah. I'm good. This guy can play uh, defense. Yeah. They, they actually like not to get into red prospect chat now, but, uh, Siani, Mike Siani, I, I, Michael Siani mm-hmm. is one of those kind of guys. It's good. Yeah. Um, like you can put them in, I mean, heck, in a much different kind of center field defense, they had um, our guy Jose Siri. Yeah, and you want to talk about a guy could really play some center field? It's like, man, they have all these like guys. It's the you know the other part of it, the hitting. We should just talk about old Reds prospects. Talk about so Jose Siri is talk about Kyle Waldrop. I saw I watched Juan Francisco hitting the other day. Oh my god! And, and Lee Dong. Oh my god, that guy. Um, yeah. Uh, Jose Siri, my favorite game for many years was just to go up to a scout and go, what you got on Jose Siri? And it didn't matter who you were talking to and what they thought of him. Like it was a polar, you know, it was a polarizing. <laughs> Nobody was just like, oh, I'm okay on him. You right. know, I got some questions. No, everybody had a grand opinion. Um, and, and like, like you know, there are always guys like that, but I've never had one like Jose Siri because it's just like the tools off the chart, phenomenal, yeah, and just rubbed a lot of people really the wrong way. Um, I loved him. I loved watching him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I speaking of Billy Hamilton, I remember the day they DFA'd Billy Hamilton, and it was at Reds Fest, and Jose Siri says, "Well, that means I'm starting in center field on opening day." <laughs> Jose Siri's playing in the Dominican right now this winter. Oh, I bet. He's doing well. Oh, um, I bet. So you mentioned earlier that it's not a normal world. Correct. Um, Thanks for this, noticing. If it was a normal world, you would be in Florida right now. Actually, it's Thursday, so you'd probably be flying home. I'd be flying home, yeah. Right now, it's Thursday afternoon, so the Rule 5 would have ended. The Rule 5 would have been this morning, and then everyone would have went to the airport. But we just, we just all of us just did not go to the winter meetings. Um. I have not missed the winter meetings, and obviously I didn't miss this one either uh, for, I don't know, 13, 14 years. Um, it's a there, weird there, thing. there are things about the winter meetings I miss. I actually oh. like going to winter meetings. Winter meetings remind me, though, of a trip to Vegas. Sometimes they're in Vegas. We're like, you get there, and you're like, yeah, winter meetings. This is fun. And then on Tuesday, you're like, yep, winter meetings, having a good time. And then on Wednesday, you're like, I just want to go home. Yeah, I I have always dreaded going there, and when I get there, I'm like, oh, there's my buddies. And, yeah, um, you know, you and I go eat in that um, at the Swan and Dolphin down in that little cafeteria, <laughs> and I have a great two hour lunch with you. And we've done that a couple times, have we mm-hmm, not? Mm-hmm. Or the Starbucks in um, Oh yeah, where was that? Was that San Diego? That was that yeah in the, in the lobby in San in Diego. In the lobby, and um, just sit down and like. It's not just me and you, it's me and, well, not Drellick, but um, me and like Mark Carrig or, or, you know, in like this group. And like, I have these great fun stories that are all, it's, it's almost like summer camp and you have your summer camp friends (laughs) and for like a week you have the best friends in the world and you have the stories that last forever, like. And James, you might not see them till the next winter meetings. Right. James Wagner, how much he loved Aaliyah and playing Aaliyah at a Waffle House in Orlando at 3 a.m. as we just rail on him. 
<laughs> um, and this big group, I think, I can't remember how many of us fit into a taxi because this was pre-Uber or Lyft. And and just like this ton of people going back to the Swan and Dolphin in Orlando. Um, I, I can't even, it's funny, it's like one of those stories where it's like, who all was there and that list grows every year? Right. I mean, there's a line. Okay, one of the best part of winter meetings for baseball writers. I don't know. Have you ever sat in on the Shining um, serenade? No. I don't know what that is. Dave Shinen of the Washington Post. Um, and nearly every year, or every year that he's, for the last however many years, he's a really talented, wonderful musician. He has a great album out that came out, I think, in 2020. Um, the dude's amazing. And he will take a takeover. We find a piano. It's usually on Tuesday or Wednesday night. He finds a piano in some ballroom. There's always a piano in a hotel somewhere. There's always one somewhere. And we always kind of scout it out. And it's usually from like 1 to 3 or something in the morning. Everybody goes and finds a way to get in like cases of beer. And we just sit in there and Dave plays the piano. Everybody kind of sings along. Um, There's a great tune. Uh, There's a great song that he's done to the um, tune of American Pie. Um, and in it, part of it is, and Dylan eats a ribeye when <laughs> Dylan Hernandez in that waffle house in Orlando ordered like <laughs> six different entrees, including a ribeye at three in the morning and ate them all. Um, so yeah, so you just keep going through these things and you have these stories and you have, uh, it's, it's, it's a load of fun. Um, it is just so kind of silly and great. And I, I miss the people. And it's been even better. I'll tell you what. The best is to work at the athletic and go to the winter meetings. I dreaded it before. because Now all your buddies are there. Well, not only are all your buddies there, Ken Rosenthal's doing all your work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, when I'm at the Cincinnati Enquirer, I have to worry about, I don't know, or... They gonna sign? Who did mm-hmm. say? Somebody said they were gonna sign one time. That just really, you know, there was a Homer Bailey trade for somebody that was just total bullshit that somebody reported. And you know, you're spending all your time chasing and worrying about that. When you're at the Athletic, you're like, meh. If it happens, Ken's got it, and yeah, Ken will have good. it. And like, you know, it's like the difference. It, when I was looking at coming over to the Athletic, and Andrew Baggerly kind of was talking about like this was in right after the winter meetings and in whatever year that was he was like dude you have no idea what the winter meetings are like with ken rosenthal he's like there's one thing to compete with ken rosenthal then there's competing with ken, ken rosenthal, rosenthal right on your team and it's like well shit <laughs> i don't have to do anything um that's my secret and i hope my bosses don't listen to this and i'm sure that emma span won't be listening to this episode i'm quite um, sure your bosses don't listen to this <laughs> and so yeah so yeah to do it because because jason i mean not jason uh, well jason stark is the best uh, uh and, and but ken rosenthal is just the best and it's just like eh, i'm not gonna worry about anything because ken's gonna worry about it ken's got it yeah you're and good. ken's got it and like yeah i can write the second day lead what does this all mean the news I'll just retweet Ken. Done. <laughs> Order another beer. 
Yeah, it's it's weird because like obviously my life at the Winter Meetings changed dramatically with my two different lives, um, and it always it's such a strange thing to go there as a part of a team um, because you just go to the suite and text all day. That's that's like all you do. You just sit there and you talk about players and you and you text and you're texting other teams or you're texting agents, and you know, maybe <laughs> and ignoring my texts and ignoring your texts and maybe once a day, like an agent or shockingly another team will come over and you'll actually talk face to face. I remember texting with the team for two days. They said, Hey, let's just talk face to face. I said, sure. Where are you guys? And, and they texted me their sweet number and they were 20 feet away from us. And we've been texting for two days and it's just, it's the dumbest thing in the world. Um, and it also, as a team, I always kind of railed on this. Like it creates that there's a very, it creates a very false sense of, um, pressure to get something done because you see all these yeah. all this stuff happening and it creates a there's no deadline obviously um it creates this kind of false pressure of getting something done it's like why do we have to get something done this week why do we have to get this done before we leave like i i don't understand this like it's just because we're all in the same hotel that's yeah. the only reason this is happening um it's such a strange thing like honestly teams could all not go to the winter meetings and be fine i mean the funny thing is is the winter meetings like the biggest reason for the winter meetings is the minor league portion, correct? Which I think is that's that still happened this year, right? That still happened this year. Yeah, okay. And that's all that really needs to happen. And that, I was going to say, that, and that's eighty percent. That's eighty percent of the people there. Yeah, other than programming for MLB Network, um, the the live shot from ESPN for like five minutes a day of Jeff Passan, right? Um, and his, you know, his hair like just more cemented than. The uh, the fake Christmas tree, and maybe um, wearing sandals under the and maybe yeah. wearing yeah, um, who knows what Jeff is wearing underneath it all, um, and and so besides that, like I don't get it. I mean, it's great for us, especially when it's like in yeah, it's a good time. San Diego. It's on someone else's dime. Yeah, it's great. On somebody else's dime. Fantastic. It does take place in some horrible places though. Let's oh be my god, the, so the, the, the gate the the Gaylord in Nashville. Oh, the Opryland in Nashville is the worst thing. It's the worst place in the world. Unbelievable. It it. Like it makes me long for the Swan and Dolphin, which it, is it, not a great it, yes. No. It, it, it happens at bad places. Vegas is cool. I'm I'm fine with Vegas. Vegas was great. Um, the one thing about Vegas is just big, and so yeah. it's like hard to get places. That why San Diego rules. Like at one o'clock in the morning when you're done, like I can go play poker for a couple hours in Vegas. Yeah, right. San Diego, you can, I guess. Um, but in San Diego, you can walk somewhere for dinner. That's nice too, because yeah, you're right downtown. And as opposed to being, you know, like you can go to the Opryland in Nashville, because I, I refuse to call it Nashville because I like you're Nashville. Not even, you're not even in Nashville. Though. You're not in Nashville. You're at Opryland. Yeah. You can go that entire time without breathing outdoor air. Yeah, and, that, yeah. And one advantage, like before in my pre-Astros days, I was a smoker. Yeah. Um, and so I could get outdoor air. And I did have that five or six year run where I, every year I had a cigarette with either Jim Leland or Ron Washington. And I would run into because I would just go outside. Right. Just to get outside. And, you know, in addition to, to running into you, like I always like bumped into um, Jack McKeon and his cigar. Cigars. Right. I, yeah. I would see him a couple times, too. Um, yeah. Just a hard, I'm going to tell you my favorite Las Vegas winter meeting story. Okay. Shoot. So winter meetings, doing stuff in Vegas, um, finished for the day, 
and I go play poker for a couple hours. Is this when you're at BP or when you're at? This um, is pre Astros. This pre-Astros. is the one. This, okay, one this, the, this is the Bellagio. Yeah, I did not go to that one. Okay, so it's at the Bellagio, which and you can just walk through some tunnels and go to Caesars, which has, which has a better poker room. And so I play poker at Caesars for a little while, and I'm walking back, and I'm staying at the Bellagio, and I'm walking back. It's two in the morning, and you got to walk through the lobby which is always filled with people, even at two in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I run into a scout who will remain nameless for reasons that will become exceptionally clear in a second. I run into a scout. This scout is a very nice person and incredibly um, straight-laced. Kind of person where you spend time with him, you just think about milk. Just like, <laughs> just absolutely clean as, you know, clean as a whistle kind of guy. We're talking for a little bit, and then it's like, I may have 250. I'm going back to my room, but I'll, you know, if you're around, hit me up. I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow, and blah, blah. And he goes, Hey, let me ask you a question real quick. I said, Yeah. And he leans into me and he says, Hey, those women over there, do you think some of them are prostitutes? And I looked over there and I said, No, I think all of them are. <laughs> and you should probably go back to your room now. And, uh, and I left, and I'm not, still not sure to this, to this day what he did. I with think that it's best that you don't. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I remember a writer who will go unnamed, uh, uh, unnamed, bringing who two of what we all assumed were prostitutes into the Shining concert. <laughs> <sighs> this one I kind of go off the air right now. <laughs> I um, mean, like it, it doesn't get beat. I mean, like yeah. It's great. So yeah, and so it's it's I you know, I had a better time with the winter meetings when I was a member of the media just because I wasn't stuck in the suite the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were times where I actually had a press pass and could sit in the media room, and some where I didn't. Um, so I'm I'm not a BBWA member, nor have I ever been. And uh, but that's overrated. I mean, it's fine. Like I don't. I've never asked for it. I I, I uh, well, don't, and like and I don't think I will. So it's um, not. It's always yeah. The Wi-Fi always sucks. That was oh, that was the one year. Um, no one could find. We're in Nashville, and uh, at Opryland. Sorry, we're at Opryland, and this was the year that um, the Aroldis Chapman trade happened, and then got rescinded with because they found out of the accusations, mm-hmm. um, the domestic violence uh, accusations, and a um, trade to the Dodgers got scuttled. Um, the night before, I had eaten at some place in Opryland and got food poisoning. <laughs> so I was just out of it, and I was feeling like terrible. And I was like, "Listen, I, I talked to my editor. I said, listen, I am out unless something happens. The Chapman stuff happens, and I look like death. And I remember <laughs> walking through." Because because outside the media room is all the the radios. Yeah, radio and the TV sets and stuff. Yeah, and I'm walking by, and Chris Russo is on, and like I'm feeling like shit, and um, he's talking, and I just go, "Why are you always screaming?" <laughs> I scream this, and just keep walking. <laughs> oh, it gets worse. <laughs> if it were just that. And then, um, again, someone will go to Nameless. You know, this is a big, huge press room. Um, there's several hundred writers in this big room, ballroom. These tables, rows and rows and rows. Like, 
Yeah, like literally, 40 literally, hun- literally hundreds of people. Yeah. And so at this point, I'm trying to get through all this. All this stuff's going on. I'm getting my ass whipped uh, professionally. I had, I, had, I had dragged myself literally off the floor. I was lying on the bathroom floor because that was the coolest part of the room. Oh, God. And so I dragged myself. I get in there. I can barely see straight. And then somebody, I tweet something about it. And somebody does one of those, like, like I think I said, um, it, it was just like some word choice. And someone was just flippant. And the room is full. And I go, this person's half the room away from me. I go, hey, this person's name. Fuck you. <laughs> I am so sick of your shit. Go fuck yourself. And I like at the top of my lungs. And you still were made president of the Baseball Writers Association of America. I might have been because of that. <laughs> <laughs> I miss I, I miss the the hundreds of twenty year old kids in ill fitting suits. With, oh, it's with, the funniest. With, with with Manila folders full of resumes, and I'm some like, of them are going to be great baseball executives oh, one day. Yeah. And God bless them, man. But I I miss I miss them. Um, I miss walking through the trade show, and and seeing the new ice creams. I love the trade show. It's the best part. Um, I miss the Boris scrum. At some point, Scott oh. Boris is going to say, says he's going to have media availability. He just kind of does it impromptu in a hallway or a lobby, and and in front of a Christmas tree. Somewhere. And there's and there's a half circle like t- of of media people ten deep all around him. It, it, ten. You're lucky if it's yeah. just ten. And like the great thing is, is I'm with the red, so rarely have. I mean, I'm cover the red. I mean, so ten row, ten rows of people deep. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I still think you're being um, you're yeah, maybe. it. Um, and the great thing is with a lot of times I'm covering the Reds. And so they're not exactly in on the Scott Boris clients. Um, they've lost a couple and you get in like, Hey, what about Shinsu Chu? And he gives his thing and you're like, woohoo, day's work is done. <laughs> um, but the other times I'm not, I'm not there for it at all. Like I don't have to worry about it. I can just sit and like, it's like watching an exhibit at the zoo. Oh, it's, it's a, like it's feeding a, it's a, time. It's a at the Broadway zoo. show, yeah. Yeah, it's like you know, SeaWorld, they've got the fish out for the orca, and you're just sitting there watching, and it's great. You take photos of the people. Oh, it's, it's great theater. Awesome. Great theater. Um, um, especially when it doesn't have a real impact on your job. <laughs> which is the what's most important. Um yeah, and I was every I I went uh four straight years where Kenny Williams was on my flight to the winter meeting. <laughs> oh, that was, that's that was one of my streaks that I had for a while. I, you know, and like you have those all the time. And like, I remember coming back from the winter meetings with much of the Reds front office when the Nationals signed Jason Worth. Was that before or after the winter meeting? Like it was, it was on mm-hmm. one of the tail ends. Right. And like being like, I had the Wi-Fi because it was December and they were doing free Wi-Fi and I go. And we just all kind of look at each other like, holy shit. <laughs> and we're talking about it. And and it's just one of those things where, yeah, the flights are part of it, too. Yeah, no, for sure. I, there's one year where I flew back to Chicago with Matt Kemp. Mm-hmm. And so Matt Kemp, like, hung out at my gate for a while. And I got a good look at Matt Kemp. You ever gotten a good look at Matt Kemp? Uh, he was, I, it is really um, a forgotten part of Matt Kemp's career that he was Stunning. a Cincinnati Red. Oh, that's right. I just forgot until you said it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Matt Kemp era was not long. I looked at Matt Kemp and I went, yeah, you're too good looking for Rihanna. I, yeah. I, yeah. You're a handsome man. Unbelievable. Um, 
that's the winter meetings we're not going to. Yeah, good times. You always, it's one of those things, like, I, I say this about myself sometimes. Like, I always think the stories about me are better than me. And that's the winter meeting. The stories my, about the winter meetings yeah, are better than the winter are better meeting. than the winter meetings. The other, the one thing I, that I definitely do not miss about the winter meetings is at every goddamn year, every year, I would get home and I'd have a cold. Yeah, like hundred percent. They they call that in the nerd uh, place or the nerd fandom the con um, con crud. Yeah, exactly. And it, I got it every year. I come. I would come from the winter meetings. I would get sick. Every well, time. It was my unavoidable. It's like I always have to kind of power through it because um, my biggest one is trying to get home because my daughter's birthday is December 12th. Oh, sure. So I have a winter meetings, winter, winter meetings baby. So I always, I've never missed one of her birthdays. Right. Um, I've taken red eyes back from like Vegas and San Diego and I hate red eyes. Um, but you've done it. Yeah. But I've done that. it sure. just because that's the most important and I. Yeah, and so so that's always and then like um, couple Vegas was that our last winter meetings in nineteen? I think so. Yeah. Yep. Like there was a group that stayed for a couple days after, and they're like, "Oh, come on, stay. We're gonna we're gonna hang out and do stuff." I don't. I mean, I think Dan Hayes just left. Mm-hmm. He stayed for like two years <laughs> in Vegas. <laughs> um. I think through the pandemic, he was still there from the winter meetings. <laughs> and I wouldn't be surprised if that's where this whole thing started. Yeah. I, 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 to be honest with you, like, so, um, you know, before before the winter meetings got canceled and it seemed like there, you know, there was obviously a chance they could happen if something weird happened. Um, you know, we talked internally at Fangrass and like, I don't think we're going to go. Like, We uh, did too at The Athletic. And talking about just like, again, like what you talked about, like the con crud, that changed the, the dynamic of con crud and getting a cold effort changes when that cold is COVID. Oh yeah. Cause you know, for, for years we kind of joke about it. Like, oh, you just get a cold and <laughs> every time. And now it's like, no, that's putting your, I mean, that's literally putting now, your life right, in your hands. Right now it's like, Hey, do we really want to go to Florida of all places and sit in a closed environment press room with 400 other people where hmm. there are laws against mandatory masking right exactly like do, do, is that really what we want to do right now um and and we weren't going to go uh we'll cover, I, I we'll think, cover it from here i think ours was going to be like um just voluntary mm-hmm. um and kind of like ours has been that way um most of our travel right has been if you feel up to it and yeah. if you feel okay with it, mm-hmm. um, and and so that's <laughs> that's tough. Yeah, and and you know, I don't know. I feel like again, like when I think about working for a team and just sitting in that suite the whole time, could cover the winter meetings from here. Like I'd miss the I yeah, the things I would miss would not be would not affect my work. I would no. miss I would miss seeing my friends. Yeah, and so obviously, but I could still do my job from here. Oh yeah, Same. you know yeah. Um, so we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk to Jay Jaffe about Hall of Fame stuff. Uh, and then uh, you listen to some more songs from same musical guests as last week, Rid of Me, because they have a record release party. I want to extend that party. I also forgot to get a musical guest this week, but I really like Rid of Me anyway, so we're going to play more of them. And uh, we'll read your emails. We'll catch up with Trent a little bit. A little moment of culture. Stick around.
Welcome back to the podcast. It's hard to find baseball news these days, but we did have some baseball news in that there was some Hall of Fame news. And if you're going to talk about Hall of Fame stuff with anybody, just our own Jay Jaffe joining us from lovely Brooklyn, New York. Jay, how are you? I'm good. How you doing? We're, you know, we're, we're rolling. Yeah. <laughs> as much as anyone can. I'm going to start off with a bad question. Do you have your tinfoil hat on? Uh, sure. I can, I can crumple one up here. Okay. I'm, gonna go, I'm going, I'm going full Alex Jones here. Um, so the veteran committee did their voting. That's what they're still called, right? The era, era committees now. Sure. The era committees did their voting. A notoriously, uh, stingy group, let's call them. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we have six. Yep. Do you think this was just kind of the slow march of progress, finally getting some some guys who are long deserved over the hump? Or do you think Major League Baseball said, hey, guys, we need some news and we need some good news. Could you loosen up a little bit? <laughs> um, you know, the Hall, I don't think Major League Baseball has has a whole lot of sway. Really? In terms of the in terms of the actual mechanics of the of, of how a committee works. I, I I'm, I'm skeptical about that. I will say this. Okay. The hall of fame, see, the hall of fame itself chooses the voters, not major league baseball. Um, the voters are a mix between hall of famers. Uh, about half the panel is hall of famers. Um, and then about uh, a quarter of it is executives and a quarter of it is media members slash historians. Um, I it's, think yeah, had, I, I saw the yeah, list. So it's a yeah. weird. It's everyone from Ferguson, it's a very, Ferguson it's a, Jenkins to John yeah. Thorne to Kim Ang. Yeah, it's you know, I it's I don't think you're necessarily going to get you know the 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 complete buy-in. I think what we saw on Sunday, I think, has more to do with the fact that it has been so long since these candidates were considered, um, and that. Um, you know, there there was a real logjam uh, within, especially the the golden days, the golden days committee. If you got we got five four in and, and one vote short of a fifth, Dick Allen. Um, you know, and these are some of the longest and most painful candidacies in <laughs> you know in, in in memory. I mean, Gil Hodges, Jesus Christ, was like the exception that I had to note in every single Hall of Fame article, practically, as the the only guy who got fifty percent and didn't get in except for candidates who are on the current ballot. And the guy who, you know, apparently fell one vote short one year uh, because uh, Roy Campanella wasn't allowed to vote from his deathbed. Um, you know, it's just there's I think there was a lot of sympathy for the for the, for the, for these candidacies and for the people who still care about them more so than I, than it was uh, any attempt to create some news that would distract us from the from the. Uh, uh, the, the the reality of the lockout and 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 the other the the complete otherwise uh, uh, you know stoppage of news. Jake, can I give you another conspiracy theater? Sure. <laughs> can you do it in the voice of Alex Jones? <laughs> uh, no. Um, I can I can get some heavy breathing up real quick. Maybe. Let me do a little lap around the house. Um, could it be, knowing what you just said, that this was the hall looking at another possible? year without a inductee from the BBWAA and stacking things so that there will be in July good news of, around induction 
Um, and what better news is there than Buck O'Neill, you know, and, 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 some, yeah. and then some living guys I, I mean, to I actually think that's, be there. To me, I think that's probably the more plausible uh, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to call it, I'm, you know, I'm not going to say that it's, it, I, I won't go so far to, to call it a conspiracy theory, but I do think that this was a very helpful result for the hall. And, and you know that, you know, if the hall could choose the voters, they, they probably have some idea of, of the, you know, of, of their temperature going in. Now there's, there's no supposedly from, you know, what little scraps of information I've gleaned from the occasional, uh, committee member who will uh, volunteer information and that's not very many of them uh, or very much of it um, you know there's there's no coordination of, of what's going on in that room you're not like saying well I have these three guys on my ballot who do you have and then you know kind of predetermining the outcome that way um, so I I think a lot of it comes down to what's said in there and how persuasive it is, you know, based on who's who's saying. And let's, you know, remember that there's also, um, you know, some of these people are handpicked because they are, you know, firsthand, they're, they're ex-teammates, they're, they're ex-competitors. Uh, you know, Rod Carew was a teammate of Tony Oliva and Jim Cott. You know, we, we got that. We have, we know there were three White Sox related uh, or, or uh, three three figures related to the career of Harold Baines when he was elected a couple of years ago. It's, you know, there are, there are ways, dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there I can ways. get you, I can I get get you a toe. I can get you a toe. I can get you a Hall of Famer. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can get you a toe in the rest of a Hall of Famer by 3 p.m. with nail polish. Um, so I, I want to start with Buck O'Neill. First of all, so I had, um, MLB Network on his background noise a few days before the uh, the announcement and um, and Buck O'Neill came up and someone said you know is this the year Buck O'Neill got gets into the Hall of Fame and my, I don't pay enough attention to the Hall of Fame my first reaction was Buck O'Neill's not in the Hall of Fame I had no I thought he was in and um, but you know Buck O'Neill was a, a player and a manager in the Negro Leagues um, he was a coach for the Cubs um, scout forever the Cubs and the Royals and maybe none of those singular things may be warranted, but that along with his cultural impact, obviously very much warranted his, his industrial right. hall of fame. Now, you know, when you think about the ballot that the writers are voting on right now, they're just voting on players is, is the, are these committees kind of the only path for people who deserve to be in um, for lack of a better term for their overall cultural impact on the game? I, I think that's, that's sort of the way it's set up. Yeah, and, and it's because of the timeline, you know, you are at most 15 years removed from retirement when you are on the BBWA ballot um, because they shortened the window from, from, from 15 years to 10 uh, several years ago. So, you you know, you may not have had the full opportunity to, uh, you know, as a manager or executive or whatever to to. to to lay the rest of the groundwork, um, you know that might that might determine a, a hall of famer. And and for for Buck, I mean, geez, the it's the other stuff beyond. I mean, the, you know, the, the pioneering scouting and, and uh, uh, coaching were you know two cool, two very cool additions to the playing career. Which the playing career itself, the numbers we have don't make a very strong or convincing case. Um, you know, so it really is with all those things. But the things he did. As an ambassador, you know, he, right. he was like 20 years on the Veterans Committee, 
you know, giving firsthand accounts of, of all these Negro Leaguers that, that, that came up for discussion. Uh, co-founded the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in, in Kansas City. Um, obviously, every, most people know him as, you know, as, as the guy on the Ken Burns baseball uh, documentary. Which I'm sure is airing right now on MLB Network. I just I pulled I I pulled my copy out. I have I have it on disc. I haven't watched it in in, in a, probably a decade uh, or more. I pulled that I pulled the uh, the Shadow Ball episode out um, uh, to watch it the other night just because I was like I, I need to hear Buck O'Neill. It's time it's time to hear some Buck O'Neill stories, and uh, that was that was really gratifying. But you know you take all that stuff into consideration, and, you know the. the the, the book with Poznanski and, and, and all that. And it's like, you know, he was, he was a lot of people's point of entry to the, to the sure. world of Negro leagues baseball. And I think that, that more than anything else, you know, is why he should have been recognized. And it was really ridiculous that the hall of fame, you know, by its own, in its own words, closed the books on the Negro leagues uh, after the 2006 election, you know, and heartbreaking that, that Buck himself didn't get in. I mean, he's the one who gave the speech on behalf of the 17 people who got in because they were all dead. Um, so, so, yeah. so let, let me ask you a question. I'm going to make up a, a, a person and his name's Johnny general manager mm-hmm. and he becomes the general manager of a team and, and they win five straight world series. And it's, he, he changes the way people think about roster construction, every signing, every trade explodes for him. His teams win 110 game every year, win five straight world series. He then moves to another market and does it again. And changes things and wins five straight World Series. He then moves, he does it again. He wins 20 straight World Series and completely changes the way we think about baseball. And then he retires. His only path to the Hall of Fame are these committees, right? Right. Okay. Bob that's what, that's I mean, what I was, that's what Brent I was wondering. Branch Rickey. Right. right. Uh, yeah. Like, obviously, Branch Rickey. Branch Rickey's in the Hall of Fame, right? Right. Bob Hauser yep. is not. Okay. Like, like that's what I was wondering. So that's the so, Cincinnati like uh, centric part. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I apologize for that. But you know, those teams were pretty good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hauser should be, and I, I wrote him up when I was at uh, SI.com, dot com the two thousand fifteen ballot. Yeah, I, it, 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 I don't know. The thing is, is it's like hard for me to get my ire up on these because they change the rules all the time, and I think that's a that's actually a credit, not a criticism. That they've that the hall has seen what has not worked, uh, because we had such a backlog for so long. And yeah, I think they've seen what's not worked. And, and and please correct me if I'm wrong, or if you disagree. But I think they've seen what's not worked. And ultimately, the hall is a business, and they want right. They <laughs> the want they, they want honorary. they want they, people in. They want um, people in. You don't build a hall of fame to not to not have people enter. The 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 there's there's there is however. Uh, you know, an inherent conflict uh, when you've got Hall of Famers sitting on that committee, you've got, uh, you know, people who are essentially voting to dilute their shares, um, you know, because the Hall of Fame is a prestigious, exclusive club. And, you know, we saw a, a dreadfully long period from 2001 until 2018 where they did not elect a single living ex player. Um, by, by the various formats, um, which is just galling, right? Um, and and so depressing. And you know, they sure Ron Santa was good enough once he died, but not while he was alive. Um, you know, and, and that was that was heartbreaking. And and 
I think one of the big problems is is putting executives and managers up against players because I'd always rather have the player get in there. I mean, I think executives and managers should be recognized, but I think you know there are, there are players who've slipped through the BBWA process who you know aren't getting any younger either. And 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 uh, well, should uh, there maybe be a different path? Should there be like a player path? And I think a it's I think player path. I think it would be fine to I think it would be fine to to cordon off the. Uh, managers, executives, and umpires, which they did a, a, for a brief time when everything else wasn't working. They, they did that, and, and that's how uh, guys like, I think, Whitey Herzog, Dick Williams, mm-hmm. Doug Harvey, um, That's that that was the period when, when they got in, and that worked okay. Um, you know, the Today's Game Bout, which is everybody from 1988 onward, which has been pretty weak so far, um, you know, except for like Mark McGuire and Rafael Palmero, who weren't getting in that route anyway, um, it, you know, has been sort of a clearinghouse for managers and executives, um, but is 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 going to start uh, uh, being you know having stronger player candidates starting next year when like Fred McGriff and Kenny Lofton are eligible, and uh, you know the I I don't think actually I guess. I guess Clemens and Bonds would be eligible next well, year. Well, that was my next question. Are, sure. are, are, are they yeah. in a position where they're going to now? That's I don't a, know, now, now it's I don't up to them that, to litigate the steroid thing. I don't know whether whether they're eligible immediately or whether they have to wait one cycle or not. Um, I have to read the fine print, which may have changed. Um, but yes, that's where that's going to be. That's that's where that's ultimately going to be hashed out. And when when I when I say that the Hall of Fame gets to pick the voters, well, you know that that's probably. Uh, I'm going to be uh, um, something that's very closely scrutinized in the in the coming years uh, if if those if and when those two candidates do get on the ballot. Uh, so let's talk about the players who got in um, the 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 you know players of the of the 50s and 60s. Um, Gil Hodges, Jim Cott, Minnie Minoso, Tony Oliva. Now, obviously, one of the many things you are famous for is the Jaws system, which is a, a purely statistical look at a player and how he compares to other Hall of Fame players and therefore kind of does he belong. Um, how do these four players do solely in the vacuum that is Jaws? Um, you know, the only one who does any – they're all below the Jaws standard, which by which I mean the average of the, of the Hall of Fame at their position. The only one who's even really close is Minnie. Um, and, and that's a little bit closer now that, now that we can include the Negro Leagues – uh, data as major league, what sliver of it that we have. Um, right. You know, Mini is, and let, let me just pull this up here so I can give you some names. Mini is, uh, is a, was a left fielder and he is 18th in Jaws, uh, just below Willie Stargell, Zach Wheat, Joe Medwick, and yeah, Stargell, Wheat, and Medwick. Um, he's above Ralph Kiner, who missed time due to the war. Um, he's a little bit below average, but he is, I mean, we know that he missed time because of the color line. He was stuck in the minor leagues for two years after signing with 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 Cleveland, Cleveland right? Um, because there was kind of an informal quota system in place, and they already had Satchel Paige and Larry Doby and uh, uh, Luke Easter. Um, so he was just that was just too much uh, to have him on the team. And it wasn't until he was traded to the White Sox uh, that he got on. And then for the next eleven years, he was one of the best players in the American League. You know, a great all around player. He to me is has the strongest case of any of these guys for performance, mm-hmm. um, and I you know I was 
elated that, that he got in. I was heartbroken that he didn't get in in 2014. He died shortly after that um, in early 2015. Uh, our friend Christina Carl, in fact, did the last uh, public interview with him that gets uh, cited within within my profiles. And uh, um, so, you know, he was by far, the, the, to me, the best, the best of those candidates in, in Jaws. The second best, I would say, is is Oliva, who's only he's only thirty fourth in Jaws among right fielders, but his peak score, his best seven years, is kind of close to the peak average. He's yeah, he's, I mean, he he burned bright. He's a guy who yeah was on was, MVP belts each of his first eight years, and then was kind of done after thirty two. Yeah, didn't know, he didn't have a tail. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he had he he had. He was on a Hall of Fame path. I mean, eight All Star, eight All Star selections, three batting titles, uh, helped the Twins to three playoffs, which is no small thing because we know that the Twins kind of run hot and cold when it comes to contending, uh, and go through long periods of, of complete and total irrelevance. Um, you know, he helped make them relevant, um, and you know, then, but you know, he had like I don't know seven, eight knee operations and. Just after about age 30 or so, he misses all of, I think, 1971-72, uh, except for maybe 10 games, 72. And he's never the same player after that. He could, He's still an above-average hitter, but less power, uh, certainly doesn't have the speed anymore. And, you know, is, you know, is basically limited to DHing. And he was okay, but... Um, you know, it just he didn't. Uh, yeah, he didn't have a tail to his career. But I, I'm sympathetic to the idea that that he should be a Hall of Famer. I'm also happy that if he's going to get in, he gets in while he's alive. Um, the other two, I'm much more lukewarm on, to say the least. Gil Hodges was, I think, statistically at best the fifth best of the Dodger um, uh, position players during their their. Uh, uh, great run uh, in, in the 1950s. His, you know, his his uh, his his batting stats are a product of playing in a bandbox. Um, he he doesn't really, like his OPS plus is like something like 120 mm-hmm. uh, or so. Just not not an you know not a no one saying he was a bad player. It's just wasn't like a, a, no, it was not a bad player. He's an all star. You know, he's a you know a multi you know, multi-year all-star and a good, and a good fielder who, you know, if the gold gloves had been around earlier, probably would have uh, uh, racked up a few more of those. People thought he looked great at first base and the defensive metrics, you know, to the extent that we have metrics that we can rely on are, are, are pretty solid for, uh, but, you know, he just wasn't, um, wasn't really the kind of, you know, middle of the lineup masher that, that we, that we associate with a Hall of Famer, right? And, and the, the career is nineteen hundred twenty-one hits, three hundred and seventy home runs. That's 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 has like a Hall of Very Good Players feel. To yeah, it. what's funny? It's what's funny is he actually held the record for most home runs by a right-handed National League hitter, which is okay, kind of a narrow qualification there. Once you once you live all that down, <laughs> yeah. and it lasted for about ten minutes because then you know Willie Mays blew by him, um, you know, like he was standing still, which he effectively was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so. So Hodges retired, and then he started managing the Washington Senators, and they were a pretty crummy team. But they showed steady improvement in the years that he managed them. And then he goes to the Mets, and takes a something like a you know sixty-two win team, and turns them into a seventy-three win team. And then they win the World Series the next year, and that to me, I think, is what sealed the deal for him because you know it's 
suddenly this idea that, oh, Gil Hodges was a great player and a great manager. And, you know, unfortunately, because he died young, he never really got to write a second act to his managerial career. He had two 83 and 79 finishes after that one. And then, and then unfortunately, he, he, he died of a heart attack at age 47. Mm. And there's a lot of, you know, speculation as to what, what his career might have been. You know, the Mets made the World Series in 1973. Um, again, with an 83 and 78 record, uh, they were not exactly a juggernaut. Um, so the writers never really got, uh, you know, he never got over the hump with via the writers and he's been on various committees and uh, you know i i always in jaws he's 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 not a great candidate right. unfortunately and and i wish i could say he was because it probably would have opened some doors for me i had famously lost <laughs> lost support among certain media members when when i told them that nah i'm not really that keen on gil hodges <laughs> i mean he does i mean but he, you know he does have uh, he has a Q factor beyond his numbers. Yes, and that's and that's the thing. It's like you know, you when I say that, it's like I'm voting against kittens, you know, and puppies, um, because Gil Hodges was, by all accounts, a great guy. Right. Um, but you know, if we're sticking to the numbers, Gil Hodges is 40th in Jaws. He's just below Don Mattingly in the rankings, and we mm-hmm. know, you know, we John Mattingly is kind of like Tony Oliva. He doesn't really have much of a tail to his career. Um, so you know what. For Hodges, a lot of what comes down to is is how much subjective weight you want to give the um, uh, the World Series win and the character stuff, and uh, you know they finally got a mix of people that, uh, that that believe that that's enough and that are that worried about the park adjusted value of, of, <laughs> of the home runs that he was hitting and all that. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm kind of lukewarm on that. And then Jim Cott is kind of the anti-Oliva, where he never yeah. burned brightly. He just burned forever. He only only three All-Star games, only appeared on a Cy Young ballot once, and that yeah. was in a year where he actually led the league in hits yeah, okay. he had but, like, but he pitched until he was 44 yeah. and won, um, I don't have it in front of me, 43 Gold Glove Awards. Um, <laughs> Something like that, yes. You know, but he, and he won like 280 games and had 2,400 strikeouts because he pitched forever. Yeah, it's it, – Cott, it's uh, – the pro- one of Cott's big problems, you know, in, in terms of a low Q rating, is that the Cy Young was only given uh, to one pitcher in both leagues until I think it's 1967. Um, and Cott probably would have won it in the AL in 1966, but Sandy Koufax got the only one there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that in those days, it was just you put one name on a ballot, you don't put three or oh, five okay. names. Yeah, so so. You're judging, we're judging him a little harshly if we say he only got Cy Young votes in one season. Because, Things I did not know. Yeah, the first the first few years where he even would have been under consideration, that wasn't an option. You just wrote down one name and it was always Sandy Koufax. Um, and sorry, he was not as good as Sandy Koufax. And he wasn't even that good in the 65 World Series. He, we, we went up against Koufax in Game 7 um, and lasted like, you know, two and two-thirds or something like that. Um, yeah, he didn't have a high peak. He had, but he was a very good pitcher. He had a, a great second act uh, in Chicago with the White Sox for a while. Um, but then he comes to the Phillies, and he's just a, he's he's basically a rotation filler. He's league average and and, and worse, and kind of hanging on. And then he gets to hang on, you know, till age forty four because he's left handed. And you know, I, I I like Cott. I certainly listened to a lot of his broadcasts uh, when he was uh, on the Yankees. Uh, uh, network, um, Cotton Singleton were, were one of my favorite uh, uh, two-man crews there. 
Um, and uh, he's still broadcasting and kind of got himself in a little bit of trouble this past fall. But, mm-hmm. uh, um, yeah, his you know, in, in terms of Jaws, he's oof. In terms of Jaws, the straight out of the box version, he's like 109th or something like that. Right. And I'm working on a actually is it 109th or, or is that the that's the adjusted version? So okay, so I'm working on a, a, a workload adjustment Jaws here, which kind of dials down the impact of the 19th century guys who were pitching 500 innings. Sorry, right. old Haas Radborn, you know your 678 inning season just, just is doing too much work uh, to, to to knock down the. Uh, um, the, the all everybody who came who came in your wake. So, Cot is 109th in the modified version, which I'm calling experimental this year, but I think is 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 the way forward. And he's and he's uh, similarly down there in the low 112th in the in the standard version, and he's tied with Felix Hernandez actually, and hmm. and you know, but Felix has a career that's half as long. Um, you know, which which I think should should tell you something, and you know, I I think the broadcasting stuff. You know, we recognize broadcasters as you know with the, with the with the Frick Award. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I I don't know that. I mean, I guess people consider that in the uh, uh, in the voting. Also, another living candidate. He's eighty three years old. Sure, better better that he gets in while while he's alive if he's going to get in. But that's the one that kind of left me cold. Particularly given the Dick Allen result, right? Um, um, and, and I want to move over to the current ballot, the the twenty twenty two Hall of Fame ballot that they're writers. I, I'm not one hundred percent confident they're right. They're voting on it right now, right? They're about, they still yeah. The, I, I have the ballot literally in my hand. Okay, and you have to turn them in by when? Uh, December thirty first. December thirty first. It has to okay. be postmarked by December thirty first. Okay, so right now you have the ballot. It's obviously the usual suspects in the sense that you still have um, Bonds and Clemens on who, you know, have both been in the low 60s or so percentage wise. Um, And and Schilling. Don't forget Schilling also in his 10th year. Schilling in his 10th year after asking to be taken off the ballot, baseball saying no. Um, Joining them in the controversial players for the first time is A-Rod. And then you have kind of some of the stragglers. And guys who have been, you know, at or near fifty percent, like Scott Rowland and Todd Helton, who you know might have a path to get there eventually, but I don't know about this year. Um, you know, Omar Vizquel, who's probably going to go down after some of the revelations about some of his behavior. Um, Gary Sheffield, who you wrote about, who's kind of sliding up, but is already in his eighth year. Like, do you think there's a solid chance we get we get a, a goose egg out of this group? I think it's very possible we get a goose egg out of this. I'm. It would be. For Roland to get in, it would require him to have like the fifth biggest year-to-year jump of the um, you know post nineteen sixty six annual voting era. It's not outside the realm. We we just saw Larry Walker get something very close to that, but he had you know that the, was his uh, final year. Correct? Yeah, his final. Right, exactly. He had he had you know the the uh, um, the urgency of his final year uh, as you know as as part of that situation. And Roland, there's not really that, but uh, you look, you kind of look at the landscape. You're like, yeah, it might be a little bit of an emergency if we want somebody under 65 to get, to go in this year. Well, and I, I could see, and like, I don't think people will do this consciously, but I can th- see subconsciously, and maybe it's not going to be as bad this year because we did have last January 
that news cycle. Oh, nobody got in. It's broken. Blah, blah, blah. Right. By, well, September, I guess. Did we do the actual, was I back there in September? Yeah, yeah September. When we actually did the actual, I guess that's the last time I saw you, Che. Um, yes. uh, we saw each other in Cooperstown, as you would imagine. Um, um, that's when we had the actual ceremony. And you had Derek Jeter and Larry Walker and Ted Simmons up there. And you... It's funny. I think we all forgot by that point that oh no, these guys weren't elected this January. There was right, the January was before, right. and it's right. one of those things where the memories are weird. Had we had the goose egg, uh, when was the last time? That was not too long ago that we had nobody, right, Jay? Two thousand thirteen was the last goose egg before this one. Yeah, I think if we would have had two thousand thirteen, a traditional two thousand, like a similar where you have this uh, this induction with nobody of our era, of the voters' era, quite honestly, um, that that perhaps Roland gets that. I think that is kind of almost moot because of how short our memory is. Right. I think the, well, I think, and I think the other possibility here is, is David Ortiz getting in. Yeah, I, I, wanted, yes. I wanted to talk about him. Like, that's yeah. the, that's the kind of the, the as far as first year guys, um, in terms of just quality of play, after A-Rod, the second best is David Ortiz. And yeah. David Ortiz does have a connection to steroids. It's probably a more tenuous one than some of the others. Um, and David Ortiz also, uh, on a PR level, overcame a steroids attachment better than any player in the history of baseball. Um, do you feel like he has a first-year chance? I, I think the only way he has a first year chance again is that is whether people consciously or subconsciously decide, you know what, the Hall could use a shot in the arm. <laughs> it's going to be a fun uh, induction speech. Yeah. No, I, the, that, um, yeah, I, and I'm, I'm actually toying with this myself. I published, I just published as, as we speak here, I just published the revised version of the Ortiz essay from the Cooperstown case book, my 2017 book, uh, on the site Bye, today. Kids. Yes, <laughs> do what the man said. Um, and I'm not, you know, by Jaws, he's not great. I measure him against the first baseman um, because that's where he played the most. And he is above Gil Hodges, yes. Um, but he is, he's 29th in Jaws. Um, right there between Tony Perez and Jake Beckley, a 19th century guy. Um, well below uh, the, 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 the average of the position, about nine points below. But of course... You know, Jaws doesn't capture postseason stuff, and you know that's where David Ortiz's candidacy really rests. I think. I mean, and you know, Q factor has, stuff, like yeah, the Q, the Q, Q factor, factor yeah. is huge. Yeah, the Q factor is. I mean, like it's this stuff is huge, and it's really t- you know he's not the second coming of Edgar Martinez as a hitter. Edgar had the the rate stats over him, and also the advanced counting stats. Uh, Big Poppy has the has the, uh, the the traditional counting stats over him. Um, but it's yeah, it's really that that postseason stuff and, the, the, and that Q factor. It's like he's got the fame. There's no no doubt about that. So I'm toying with whether whether or not to to in, to include him on my ballot. As it is, my first my preliminary look at the ballot, I've got 11 guys for 10 spots, and I'm I'm not really prepared to fi- to 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 do all the uh, um, uh, discussion of, of that in public. But David Ortiz is very much in play for for one of those spots. Um, and, uh, you know, I think in part that's, that, that, that 
if I do it, it, it will represent in part a desire to have, you know, somebody from, from the BBWA a ballot and this generation of, of players uh, up there at Cooperstown. Because I think David Ortiz is going in. I don't know that he, in a right. vacuum, would go in on this ballot given the um, the DH factor and the PED factor. I think that's a lot. Those are two major hurdles uh, for any candidate to, to surmount. But I think... When you when you realize that yeah he's probably going in and why are we dicking around that was like a question I was going to ask you like why do we dick around why yeah. is it like I, well he's I, not going to get I on the first there, ballot certain, but, it's a, but these guys and they get it it's like they, they get to fifty then it's fifty five and like yeah. he's, he's either deserves it or he doesn't why does I agree. this happen I'm, I'm not really I, I I'm really not I, like I find the whole first ballot discussion kind of maddening and I kind of discourage it's kind it. of it's kind I, of, I agree it's just and, you, you should be in or you should be out right right, right. but but it also like one thing I always do bring up and, and I would like to do this you know everybody always says to me well their stats don't change you know what does change the voting public the right. voters change and we have and, and I don't know I guess with like my generation of voters and, and Jay I think uh, you're included in that um we vote differently than our prior generation. And right. that is one of the things that has really helped get a guy like Larry Walker. And, and even as much as it has always seemed like a no-brainer to me, Tim Raines in. You know, right. Tim Raines and Larry Walker are guys like, I have never really debated them too much. All I just kind of did was like, my only research on those, or my the most of my research is to counteract why Oh my God, these numbers have always said it. Here, let me right. compare it to other people. Those are my kind of things. Um, and I think the, the voting public has changed. Um, and the voting public does. We also look at things differently. Um, you know, I, I, I said I used to do a um, roundtable with a couple other uh, writers here locally. And I had someone like, oh, I'm never going to vote for a DH. And I looked at him and I said, do you know that DH has been a position my entire life? And I'm not exactly young. I'm 40, I was born in 1975. Uh-huh. I have never lived where there wasn't a DH. So how, how can you, like, it's, it's the same as the Colorado argument. To me, it's like, but, but they had that position. Somebody had to fill it. Right. Colorado, they had that place. Somebody had to play there. I just, those are things that I feel like we're combating as an organization and as a voting block. And, um, of course, I think that it's getting better because more people are thinking like me. So, of course, I would. Um, But but, but I also do understand, like, I I think those things do change. And that's why there is a dicking around. Um, And and, and it's it's kind of a collective dicking as opposed to an individual dicking. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I it, when I go back and I look at, read the, you know, the the um, Hall, of Flame, Hall of Fame ballot explainers of, of older writers, you know, they draw the distinction, uh, between, and, and very few of them actually survive here in terms of what I can find online. But there, you know, some, you know, some people did like to show their work in public, and now most of us are expected to. Um there, there was always this distinction about first ballot, and it was kind of maddening because because it's what also it's what caused people like players like Ted Simmons and Lou Whitaker and um, Bobby Gritch, um, guys who maybe weren't 
considered first ballot guys just to fall through the cracks entirely because not enough people voted for them and they got stuck in this god-awful limbo and in, i mean it's ted simmons elected in 2020 was the, literally the first of those guys to ever get in the hall of fame he was also the first to get on a ballot and it still took another 10 you know to get on an, an era committee ballot and it still took another 10 years for him to get in and well, the other issue that we have is the rule, and this is a Hall of Fame rule, and I'm, I'm speaking as, I guess, in the final days of my BBWA uh, reign of terror, of pre- presidency reign of terror, is uh, the BBWA is not the one who wants to limit it to 10. Right. Jay can tell you this better than anybody. You served on the committee. Right. With uh, Gould and Slusser, I believe. Gould, um, wasn't on the, Gould was not on the committee, but... But He's he just was, one of the loudest. He was, he, but he was one of the loudest at the time. He, it was around the time that he published his binary ballot column, which I annually refer to. Yeah, um, and, but yeah, Susan but anyway, the rule of ten has handcuffed us so that, like, I mean, Kenny Lofton's probably the biggest victim of that. Yep, a one yep. and done guy who, when you look at him, you're like, holy shit, this dude was good, right? Yeah, um, and like you look at him in every way to compare people, Kenny Lofton is just a guy that. I think I would check off. Um, I, I, I always hesitate to say that people that haven't been on a ballot, whether I would or not, but I definitely believe he, be, he, he, he deserved more than one year because of this rule of 10. Now, yeah. and this was almost something I was going to ask Jay when you were talking about how you kind of in your preliminary, you have 11. How in your mind, and I think we all have to kind of play these mental gymnastics in our mind on how we're going to do it. How do you draw the line metaphorically between ten and eleven? Well, okay. The first, the, there, there are a few, a few, you know, factors at play. First of all, I, I, I'm very reliant on Jaws. Um, really, you know, not not inflexibly <laughs> so. Um, but I start, you know, I start. Okay, what does Jaws tell me about these candidates? And you know, where is their wiggle room here? Um, first of all, the PED guys, I have. Uh, I long ago decided, and I've stuck with this because it seems to have been a view that's gained traction, is that, you know, anybody, anything that happened before testing and suspensions were in place in 2004 is in one category, and anything that came after is another category. So I rule out Manny, I rule out A-Rod, um, and any, you know, anybody else who, who flunked a test. Um, to me, that's that, 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 that's a start. At the same time, I'm this, this keeps... Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens on my ballot. I'm not saying I'll never vote for Manny or A-Rod, but um, if space is an issue, and space is always something of an issue for me, then those two guys have to wait. Um, I am, you know, I used to include Kurt Schilling on my virtual ballots. Uh, I think maybe there was one year I didn't just because I wanted to recognize and call attention to somebody else's candidacy. But the increasing weight of his public persona let's call it of kurt uh, schilling being an asshole of kurt schilling being a total fucking asshole nightmare and uh, i you know insert 17 more expletives beyond that and you're um, still being nice yeah and i'm still and i'm and i'm still being nice um there is absolutely no way in hell i will ever consider putting kurt schilling on a ballot for anything um i sorry i don't i don't support insurrectionists that's just that's that simple it's a good rule um, yeah, and and I'm not going. You know, I am not going to give Kurt Schilling the amplified platform that comes with being a Hall of Fame honoree, 
because I think there he is a legitimate danger to cause further harm in his in you know with in in you know with 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 that platform. And I am and, not. And that is, I mean, Jay and I talked last December, I believe, thirtieth, um, yeah. <laughs> for, for a long time. Um, but ultimately, that is kind of the argument why, for the first time, I did not vote for Kurt Schilling. Um, and I think part of it was personal that I was going to be there or was scheduled to be there. Yeah. And I couldn't imagine sitting there mm-hmm. and him to say something. Um, Which would surely something. happen. And, and would, I don't even know that, but it's very possible. And I would feel responsible that I gave him that stage yeah. and that I would be there and how I would feel. And mm-hmm. quite honestly, that's the first time anything like that has entered my voting. Um, and then... And I, I wrestled with this. Um, poor Jay knows this. Like, I, I, I remember looking at my um, watch. I walked, I think, 12 miles that day because I walked and talked the whole time. And <laughs> wow. I, talked to, I, talked to, I talked to Jay. I talked to Gould. I talked to Stark. I talked to, to several other people um, because I was just wrestling with this. And, and sometimes I talk through things, like 12 mm-hmm. miles worth. Um, and... That was really what it was. And so, so yeah. Um, and then, you know what happened? Like, I was, I still had that just, I don't know. Um, it, it, it sounds silly, but I had that pit in my chest mm. from the minute I turned in that ballot mm-hmm. to January 6th. And January 6th, I said, fuck it, I did the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, I, think... I, I didn't feel guilty I felt really bad from Jan- from December 30th to January 6th. January 6th? Nah, fuck him. <laughs> oh, well, on that fine note, Jay, yeah. I want to thank you for coming on and talking to us about the wonderfulness that is the Hall of Fame. <laughs> uh, if you want to follow Jay on Twitter, he's at J underscore Jaffe. And you can read all his amazing Hall of Fame coverage, of course, at Fangraphs.com. Do you have anything else you want to plug other than the Cooperstown Casebook, which um, you can buy just, at all of your local bookstores? I don't have any other books, but I am doing my, my annual ballot series at Fangraphs. Uh, new candidate every day. Going to be batching a couple candidates together here for public consumption. That's one thing. Because of all the all the fun dialogue that happens around A-Rod, I mean, not A-Rod, uh, Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, and Sammy Sosa, the other 10th-year candidate, I'm going to do one brief overview of them and link to last year's profiles because I'm not going to edit 20,000 words worth of those guys again and check the existing links and all of the receipts. I've said what I've said about them nine times a piece. And well, I look I forward, I look yeah. forward to your piece on Joe Nathan. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward. I'm, I'm looking forward to writing about Joe Nathan. Yeah. He's one, he is one he's, of the 11 in, in, in play on my ballot. Yeah. He's fascinating. I actually had this discussion last year in that 12 mile binge with, with, with Derek Gould. Um, Joe Nathan came up when in our discussions and uh, and just how how kind of overlooked and good Joe Nathan was. Yeah, really yeah. great. Yeah. Um, so thanks um, for coming on, Jay. Yeah, thanks for having me on, and uh, yeah, great to talk this stuff. Thank you, Jay.
Welcome back to the show. Thanks to Jay Jaffer talking about the Hall of Fame. I want to ask you a Hall of Fame question, um, sure. and I want you to take off your president of the BBWAA hat that you that you only will wear for a few more days. Um, so you know, bo- Bodie's going on, and crazy Hall of Fame tracker guy's doing his thing. And uh-huh. I love Ryan. Uh, Ryan's a super nice guy. I want to I, I want to have Ryan on the podcast. So I kind of want to talk to him about what he does. Um, yeah, um, so, he's super busy right now. And so when. When that uh, uh, like Jack Dummy guy submits his blank ballot, mm-hmm. do you say, "Hey, screw that guy. We have to fix voting requirements for who can vote." Do you say, "Hey, screw that guy," but that's how it goes with voting requirements? Do you say, "Well, he's earned his right to vote. He can do whatever he wants as long as I do it," but I don't agree with it. Like, where do you end up on that kind of? I'm Thanks. somewhere in the middle. I mean, it's just yeah. like we we have changed the vote. Yeah, no, I know. Like, yeah, over you, the years, it's right. been adjusted, and it's just it's gotten like, rid of like some of the real legacy stuff. Yeah, like you have to have been. It, it used to be like Supreme Court justice. It's forever, but now you have to you can you have to have covered the game in the last five years, ten years. I think it's five. Okay. Um, and even that is, you know, I think there's still some, you know. We could still trim it a little bit more mm-hmm. and police our own a little bit more. Actually, that's, again, an email I need to send out. Um, but, yeah, I think that's two different. Like, 
hell, um, I don't know what's worse, the blank ballot or one last year I saw that was just Viscal and Schilling. <laughs> was there wasn't there was a there was a Jeter only ballot too, wasn't there? Yeah, I think there was. Oh yeah, because nobody else deserved to get the same to be on the same ballot, ballot with as Derek Jeter. And right. He wasn't. I mean, there's. I, I so what I do every year. Let me see. I have my my notebook here. I have a notebook that I keep. It's the same one every year. So you've but you have not turned in your ballot. Yet. <laughs> I actually haven't opened it yet. Okay. Um. So. Wait. It's 2019. There's 2020. You're listening to Sea Trent goes through his notebook. notebook. Yeah. On I'm the looking Chin at Music it. Podcast. It's 3:41 <laughs> p.m. 39 degrees in DeKalb, Illinois. Um, you know, in 2019, 2020. Um, so yeah, so like I, I kind of go through. Oh yeah, there's Jeter, 2020, new one. Um, like I, I, what I do is I rank them um, one through five or one through 10 and kind of draw a line or depends whether the, I believe the line should be there or not. Mm. Um, and that can always be difficult, but I rank them and I had, I had four guys ahead of Jeter mm. that I voted for that year. So, you know, it's all, uh, uh, that one was silly to me, but who am I? You're the president of the Baseball Writers Association. I guess so. I'm going to ask you a lot about that in a little bit, but first okay. let's talk about our music. I thought we did guests. that already. No, no, there's more questions. Um, you're listening to Rid of Me once again, and I think, why would you not want to listen to Rid of Me? They're great, and they have a new album out that I'm just super, super happy to be playing. It's called Traveling. You can go get it. Um, if you go to their Bandcamp page, there's all sorts of special editions and things you can get and uh, support independent music from the great Philly-based hard rock band, Rid of Me. And uh, thanks to them for always letting me know what's going on with them and sending me new music. Check them out. They're good. Are you ready for emails? Ready for emails. First email comes from Mark. Mark says, KG, I saw a story that a company called Endeavor had purchased nine minor league teams, including four in the AAA East. Such a stupid name. Am I correct in thinking that there was previously a National Association rule against owning multiple clubs in a single league? I guess MLB did away with that with the reorganizing of the minors. But the story notes that they have agreements with nine teams named. And in addition, the article notes that Endeavor is in the late stages of negotiations for a handful of others. Kevin, what's up with this? Does it seem to you that something is up? Yes, something is up, Mark. It's called capitalism. Um, and so, I mean, you just like the entire world, um, everything consolidates into giant companies. And you're now seeing that with the minor leagues. And the reason that a company like Endeavor exists is because the last two years, minor league teams have um, lost tons of money and are desperate for money. And so they're willing to be sold and because they need money. And so it was a great time if you're going to be uh, like a filthy investment company. It was a great time to buy minor league teams. And this Endeavor group is, um, has plans to buy many, many teams. Um, the Braves just sold all the fields they owned. Um, it's, it's, it, we're going to see just like anything, uh, a huge consolidation where only, where you probably have like four or five holding companies who own all the minor league teams. It's like the movie industry, right? It's like the movie industry. It's like anything. I, I live, as you know, I live in DeKalb. I live in farm country. Like, you know, if it's, 
it this is a, a cute little small town with a with a, a max school in it but um you know like i'm a four minute drive from just endless um numbered roads filled with fields on both sides and and those are you know technically family farms but they're all owned by someone by, yeah. by a big company and that that family just is working for the big company like it's it's like anything in this in this world where everything is consolidating and the minor leagues were just next in line and it's happening it's probably not necessarily good for the industry nope but here we are and that's where we're going more importantly <laughs> but um yeah but you did touch on like is this part of the reorganization yeah it is part of the reorganization um i was really interested in in the braves dropping I, their teams that they too. own just because um you know when i worked with houston houston kind of had a goal to own all theirs um and and saw what the Braves are doing is really smart and 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 looked at that way and you know the, the um and they got there you know they own corpus and then they finally have a triple a team they own they own um they own fayetteville and so um like some teams are going that way and to see the braves kind of go away from it um i don't know like the braves are a weird team on a business level just because they're owned by that liberty media group as opposed right. to kind of as opposed to having like joe rich guy um and so they're run a little differently um but i was surprised to see that i was too like that was the most interesting part to me because it was all four of those Braves ones. And and like you said, that was kind of a model. Everybody saw that as a good thing. Uh, that they wanted to do. Yeah, right. Developmental-wise. And that's what you, that's what you, sh- you strive to do that. And that was kind of the thing. Of course, it's also easier for a corporation to be like, well, we can sell this off and get more money now. Yeah, the spreadsheet says, to, spreadsheet the spreadsheet says sell it. Sell. And because for that company, the goal is... To make money for the, the what uh, my late great journalism professor Conrad Fink always talked about is the rising tide of shareholder expectations mm-hmm. is to meet that and you can do it that way. Whereas if you're Joe Rich guy and your goal is to make money but also to maximize your team for your own ego, um, right? It's an easier argument why. to go to Joe Rich guy and just go, look, I know this doesn't make a ton of money, but it's way better for player development. We'll have a better baseball team because of it. That's easier than going to the board of some media company who's looking at the spreadsheet and going, nope. Right, because it's Joe Rich guys. You could you can even sell him on the thing that right. In I, can the end, to, I can appeal. I can appeal to his emotions. Yeah. Also, like in the end, it'll save money. You're not going to spend on free agents because we'll develop and it'll be better for development. You'll save money here on those zero to six players. They will be more ready to contribute in early when they're right. cheap, as opposed to some Liberty Media. Some Liberty Bean Media County is like, just going profit, loss, sell. Right, like we can, we don't, we can not spend on free agents and not spend on minor leagues. Win win. <laughs> um, and dealing with affiliates is a pain in the ass when you don't own them because, like, there's just oh, the, like yeah. little things, like hey, like the locker room's real bad. Like you guys need to fix this. There's a hole in the batting cages. You guys need to fix this. That's not our job. That's your job. And, and, and dealing with all the politics of that and, and even getting affiliates. You know, I remember one of my first couple of years with the Astros, they needed a new low A affiliate and all the affiliate shuffle happened. And they were down to quad cities, Beloit and Burlington. Beloit and Burlington are high school fields. They're dumps and quad cities is pretty solid. Um, and like, Quad Cities like got wined and dined to no end, hoping right, to get that, that, hoping to get that affiliation. They got it. It was, but it was unbelievable. Like the full court press the team put on. Well, but there's also like an owner who was seeing that and being like, "Hey, 
who can give me the best deal? Who mm-hmm. can, I want this and this and this. Right. And the owner of the Quad Cities team was a guy who owned two or three teams at the time. And because you don't want, it is musical chairs. And you don't want to be sitting there and, in the old days, Going to get Burlington. stuck with Bakersfield. Yep. Or get stuck with, yeah. Cedar Rapids, not Cedar Rapids, um, Clinton. Yeah. Yeah. Places the, like that. There was always those places. Um, didn't Beloit get a new place? Beloit is a new stadium. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's the same. It's uh, Clint Studer who owns the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. Right. And with, with Kane County losing their affiliation because they, they're just so dumb. Um, Kane County lost their affiliation? Yeah. I guess I in, shouldn't be surprised there's something they're, that did. They're indie now. Um, and so my closest affiliate ball is now Beloit, um, which is really oh. only, it's only a 50 minute drive, five Oh, it's okay. not bad at all. And you've uh, been to the new stadium. Uh, it just went up. And so, yeah, it's, it's real nice. It's, I mean, they used to be, I mean, Beloit used to be a high school field. It's just like metal bleachers and maybe 150 people at the game. Um, and now they have a nice stadium. And Man, yeah, that was a weird, like I, I hadn't done a lot of Midwest league, uh, um, like, but I did Dayton and to play in Beloit into Dayton. Right, and Dayton's like one of the success stories. They have, they have like 700 straight sellouts or something at one point. Yeah, those are... I know. Yeah. I mean, you've been there. You know that it's... They draw well. They draw well. But they draw well. They still draw great for a single A. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Even, even high A. Well, because for many years, again, bringing back this to Red's pod, podcast, for many years, it went from, you know... Anytime a guy got promoted from low A to high A, it felt like a demotion. Whether right, that they was, go to the Florida State League. Because they go to the Florida State th- League. There's 30 people there. Or Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. When they got stuck with Bakersfield. And it was a demotion from, you actually had, at, you have atmosphere at, at a Dayton Dragons game. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so all of a sudden, trying to think of a, a an old reds prospect all of a sudden Jorman rodriguez moves up yeah yeah and you know, or do like billy hamilton went from yep. dayton to to bakersfield jesus I, i'm trying to remember was it you were telling me about going to a bakersfield game with billy hamilton and looking at the stats it wasn't me i never was saw somebody... him in bakersfield i certainly saw him in the midwest league but never bakersfield Somebody was telling me about like the percentage of balk calls, yeah, that were made with Billy Hamilton on the on the base paths when he was in the in that league, in the Cal League. I really wish he hit more. He would have been so much oh. fun. It would have been so much goddamn fun. Oh my god, um, it's it's funny. It's one of those things. There are certain guys that you just get used to watching, mm-hmm. and you don't realize how good they are until they're gone. Zach Cozart was one of those guys. Mm. That I didn't realize what a good fielder was he was until he was gone because there were certain things that were hit that you just write six three, Billy Hamilton certain things that were hit I would just write eight before he caught it mm-hmm. and the scorebook because you knew they would make all the plays and like what Billy was able to catch versus what anybody any other human was able to catch in center field was different. Wait, so, do do you just write eight and not f eight? Yeah, just eight, because. Well, thanks for coming on, C. Trent. I want to... But, like, I know it's an 8. Like, how else is it going to be? Like, the F is, is, is like, superfluous, <laughs> isn't it? No. Unless it's, like, a straight liner, and then I'll put L8. L8? Line out 8. What kind of monster are you? Because this is to be a record to remind me what happened. 
Right, F80 flew out to the center fielder. Yeah, but how else do you record an out to the center fielder? I well, see, see it's I, it's uh, we're a fly out to the eight. I mean, welcome to the Keeping Score podcast with Kevin and Trent. So me, I love Keeping Score. So I love F, score it's, it's it's F8 with an arc over it for a, for a fly out and a, yeah. and like a straight line over it for a line out. No, just eight. Our next email comes from Ian. <laughs> Ian says, "Would there be any legal issues that you can think of if the players were to put on a home run derby?" or other such exhibition at a big college stadium for charity. Message would be, A, we love playing baseball and love doing it together. B, we have money. And C, what's happening has very little to do with A and B. Of course, it's unfortunate that such a, seem things, that such a thing seems necessary to counter the league's propaganda, but it might be. Thanks for being an outlet for my half-baked pipe dream. Um, I don't think so. I don't think there's any sort of legal blockade to such a thing. Um, I think the biggest problem would be um, liability. Like, there'd be a liability piece, but also like no one would broadcast it. Maybe you could put it on YouTube or something. Um, you could stream it somewhere, but like, you know, rights holders definitely would not broadcast it. Right. I mean, you could do, we saw some of that during COVID with yeah. people doing stuff. Right. But I don't think there's anything legally stopping them from doing that. They wouldn't, you know, they could not wear their jerseys right um they'd have to like you know put on like mlbpa jerseys or something which i'm sure someone could whip up for them pretty quick um but no there's no there's no hindrance to it and yeah, i think it's a fun idea maybe someone should put that together i think a home run derby with players would be fun i think the insurance would be the do it uh do it in the dominican do it at kisakai after a game just yeah i'm with you let's do it next email comes from christopher and christopher says how would an international draft even work I've heard it would be separate from an amateur draft. Would international players be eligible to be drafted when they're 16? How would the draft order be determined? If it's tied to the same metric as the amateur draft, then, for example, in 2017, the Twins would have been able to come away with two drafts with Royce Lewis and Wander Franco. Doesn't that that increase the need to further overhaul the incentive to tank in the new CBA? Um, Chris, nobody knows. It's important to note that. I have seen some, some things uh from mlb where they kind of talk about what might like be a skeleton of an international draft but there's nothing hard in it and we don't have one yet and most teams do see it as a as more of a when and not an if but it's not an absolute that we're going to have one um it would be separate from the amateur draft it would be somewhere from 10 to 20 rounds most likely um it would most likely be hard capped slots as opposed to a slot like a draft pool where you can move money around um and then draft order is a whole, whole thing to whole ball of wax that they're not that I don't think they've addressed yet. And and as you've seen with the CBA, that that might get a, you know the draft order might be a, be different next year um, with a new CBA because they're trying to it, the players are rightfully so trying to you know create a better rule set um, that disincentivizes tanking um, and 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 draft order would be part of that obviously. Um, so like. The international draft's been you know, talked about a lot, but all those kind of you know nitty gritty details are still very much up in the air and, and very um, you know to be negotiated. Um, you know, it's 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 none of it's none of it's done, none of it's solid solidified. Um, I think twenty twenty three is your most likely time for one. Um, but as far as like the rules and the nitty gritty, like no one, nobody knows, and, and teams are just guessing right now. You know, I go back. What I know about a 
uh, the possibility and all the legal and all the holdups of the international draft. I only know that it was more than 10 years ago mm. because it was listening to you and Parks talked to Scott Boris on the old podcast. Mm-hmm. And I know because I was mowing the lawn at my old house <laughs> listening to it. But I just remember that being fascinating and I learned a lot there. So that's kind of what I know about it was from more than 10 years ago and Scott Boris talking about it and Scott Boris ways. It was it was fascinating. And yeah. Wonderful. And so um, it's there's likely one coming. But yeah, that's like honestly all the details I think really anybody knows right now. Um, it's a weird world. Uh, our next email comes from alex alex says hello my name is alex nicole from tds we have a domain that is currently on sale that you might be interested in lindor.org anytime someone types lindor or any other phrase with this keyword in their browser your site could be the first they see the internet is the most efficient way to acquire new customers average google search results for this domain is 12 million six hundred thousand i don't believe that number you can easily redirect all the traffic this domain gets to your current site godaddy.com appraises this domain at one thousand five hundred and ninety five dollars price at only 398 for a limited time if interested please go to lindor.org and select buy now act fast the first person to select buy now gets it thank you very much for your time top domain sellers alex I don't know how you can pass up on that, KG. Four hundred bucks, yeah. Lindor.org, and we'll just re- we'll just redirect him to Chin Music. You'd be that a would fool to we, pass up on. We would, according to twelve point six million search results, we would generate. We That's would become indisputable. The, we'd become the number one podcast. It's right there. Eat your heart out, Joe Rogan. So, or eat, yeah, eat something else, Joe Rogan. Please. Yeah, seriously, eat, a bag of something. A bag of something for you, Joe. Um, God, we're going to hear from Joe Rogan fans now. Um, that's it for the emails. Send us the emails. Chinmusic at fangrass.com. Read all of them. You're a big part of the show. Um, and send us even more emails because we're still doing a show and there's no baseball going on and we need content. Um, it's time to catch up with you, C. Trent. Oh, good times. Just what everybody wants. In case you're listening to the show and you don't know this, C. Trent is the president of the Baseball Writers Association of America for a few more days. Can I be honest with you? Yeah, please. I I don't expect anything less. I have no idea what this means. Like, I have no idea what, like, what do, what are your actual responsibilities as the president of the the BBWA? And then more of a, like, like, how much time a week is that job? Or, uh, or role, since it's not really a job. You don't get paid for doing this, do you? I do get paid. You get money for being the president of BBWAA? Two dollars. <sighs> no, that that's not true, is it? No, yeah, it's in the Constitution. Two dollars. For I the year? To, yeah, yeah, for the year. For the year? Yeah. You get 17 cents a month for the year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so so for your two dollars, mm-hmm. like how many, first of all, how, like how many hours a week is BBWAA work? Uh, it depends on the week. I mean, I've had weeks where it's many, many hours. Like 20? Um, Have you had 20-hour uh, weeks? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so, but a lot of that is like calls and talking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's work. And, and, oh, people yeah. People need to understand that's work. Oh, my God. Um, so, And I talked to the league a lot, and there was a lot this year. Um, oh, with the access kind of coming access back. Coming back, coming back and trying to figure it out and... Back and forth, and um, 
so you're the person representing the the the, the uh, association yeah, I'm kind to of the, the league. Person. Yeah. So when the league is is dealing with you, and and I assume this is kind of a negotiation. It's somewhat of a negotiation. They're dealing with you. They dealt with me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I talked to like John Blundell at the league. I've talked to John a lot this year. Um, I've talked to, um, you know, the players association, um, they have a a liaison, media liaison, and I talked to him. Um, we've talked, I've, I've done a lot of that. Um, I have probably, well, I, I won't say probably, I've been more proactive in, um, trying to communicate with the membership more than uh, maybe some other people previously in my position. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like pretty much anytime anything happened, access is our number one thing. I mean, it's, it, it always is right. We do other things. We do awards. We do other stuff. Right. And this but is why I've never, I've never been a member. I've never applied for a member. Just because to do the job I do, I don't need that access. Correct. Um, now, I've talked quite a bit with some people, um, including Meg, about how we can evolve in other ways. And it's weird because this is a one-year appointment um, and as, as the president. It is in the constitution of the organization, um, like... You could look in 2029 and see what city, uh, what chapter, what chapter will hold the presidency in 2029. So it's a term limit. You cannot run again. Right. Oh, God, no. Um, cannot, would not, want, don't want to. Um, but, but yeah, so like several years ago, I knew that in 2021, the Cincinnati chapter would have the president. Okay. And so in 2019, our chapter decided um, basically who we were going to put up for it. Um, And there was a discussion. And um, you can decide in many ways, but I think it's supposed to be a a vote. Um, And at one point, there was only one person who wanted to do it. So I don't know that we actually went through with a vote. Um, And that was one fool. And um, so it is a three-year commitment. Oh. It is, it is. Yeah. So this was 2019. I was the vice president in 2020. And then the vice president ascends to the presidency. Okay. And then what do you do the next year? You are on the executive board. So okay. the executive board consists of the president, the vice president, the previous president, and then three people of the president's choosing. To serve on this board. Oh, so you got to pick three? Yes. Who'd you pick? Who'd I pick? I picked uh, Jesse Sanchez of MLB.com. Okay. Um, He's no uh, good. <laughs> um, oh, man. If you don't like Jesse. <laughs> woo! He does. He does have his car wash subscription. <laughs> um, Mark Carrig of The Athletic. Former writer Mark Gurig. This was before he went to management. Uh, so you just okay. So you just want you just wanted to poison this board as much as possible. You do Sanchez, Carrig, and who else? Steph Epstein. All podcast co-hosts or guests at some point. Yeah. Good job. We run in the same circles. Three really bad people. Okay. 
Now, Kareem's terrible, but who doesn't love Jesse? I, I I can't imagine someone not liking Jesse Sanchez. I don't even know what that's like. No, like it's impossible. Okay, so you so okay, so you lay the board. So then, and then after that third year where you're on the board, you're done, right? Yeah. So the who? So what was I was on Rob Beer Temple's board in I think 2000. That was my question. So like so you've done your three years, right? So uh-huh. this year the president, 2022, you'll be on the board. If in 2023 someone wants you to be on the board, you can, can are you can you are you eligible? I believe so. So who's what chapter has the next presidency? Uh, in the 2022, who was who? my vice president? My vice president was Larry Stone of the Seattle Times of the Seattle chapter. And so Larry Stone will become the new president. He will be the president of the Baseball Writers Association. Baseball Writers Association of America, and then, um, and then 2022, uh. I guess it will be a, the president, or 2023, the president will make it the Baseball Writers Association of North America, since it is the Toronto chapter. Oh, and who's that person? Do we know yet? We do not know yet. Okay. So, yeah. There's some good people in Toronto. Yeah, there's some great people. Um, and I, 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 you know, we have, we have, we have great people throughout. Um, eh. And Corinne. So, 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 okay, so this, this sounds like a job. It sounds like a lot of work being the president of Baseball Association. It sounds like you've and, had some and, regrets. And I think many years it was not. <laughs> you got it at a bad time. Yeah, I don't know who had it worse. Sully, who was uh, Paul Sullivan of the Chicago Tribune, who was the 2020 president, or me. Right. Um, either, either COVID or coming out of it. Either COVID or coming out of it. No access or trying to get more access mm-hmm. and having like Charlie Brown football all the time. Are yeah. there aspects to like, like you're the president and obviously you're representing the group on these. Are, are there aspects of the association that you can push to change? Yeah. As yeah. the president. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are simple little things. Um, like we changed, it used to be uh, our highest honor or whatever was the Spink Award. Yeah. Um, went through and Taylor G. Spink, some problematic stuff. Not a great dude. No. Um, and you got and, the name changed. Yeah. And so we got the name changed. And that was, and then like, there's an actual new name. And oh, God, Don't worry damn about it. it. I'm forgetting it because it, I'm, I, it was my choice. Like, but like, so, but, that award is mine. And, and all I can think of is, is that it's the Montgomery Burns Award for Outstanding Achievement in the Field of Excellence. <laughs> and this is the one that Kirkuchin got, right? Yeah, that Kirkuchin got. Okay. Um, and, you know, like one of the people I really leaned on about that in that was Jason Stark. Um, because, again, like they're not all Kriggs. There are Jason Starks in there as well, who's just right. a great person. Yeah. Um, and then there's McCullough. Who's barely a person. Oh, God. <laughs> so, okay, so you're, 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 you're 10 years going to come to an end. Praise the Lord. Like, and I, you sound like is, you can't wait for it. It makes me upset. But the, the, like, the, the leaving, not having this almost makes me believe in a God. So, so this happening. So you're not going to be the, but do you, do you sit back and go, Boy, that was hard, and that was a lot of frustration, but I feel like I did a good job, at least. 
I feel like I like there there there's some stuff that I or do you I feel like you done. did a job? <laughs> I feel like I did a pretty good job. Good. Um, and 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 I've been very. There have been many people who've been very nice to me and said said I have as well. And so that is that means a whole lot. Um, and like in the future, I will probably I I wouldn't be surprised if somebody gave me a call. Like I mean, Larry and I have already talked about a couple things. He's like, hey, what do you think here? I did that to Derek Gould a lot. Right. Derek Gould was like my consigliere because in, in part because Derek is very good about the letter of the law. He knows the constitution. You know, he was very, uh, there's involved. a constitution. There is a constitution. Oh yeah. Are, are, like what's the strangest rule in the constitution? Oh, are there any like really weird, obscure things that no one knows about? Weird. I think just like the fact that we know who's going to be the president in what year from what, what chapter. I just think that mm-hmm. that's all mapped out is kind of weird. Um, do you think it should be an election? No. Okay. Uh, I don't. Because um, that would become the wrong kind of contest? Yeah, and it would just be weird. And I kind of like the way it's done. It spreads it out. Mm-hmm. Um, either you could get filibustered from New York or wherever is a big contingent. Or right. those people could eat their own, which is also very, very possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it gets to these other points. It gets to... Like, I've, I've learned recently that a lot of the New York beat overall doesn't always like each other yeah that could happen <laughs> i think a yeah. lot of beats can be like that you spend a, like i don't think people understand like you spend a lot of time with the people on your beat mm-hmm. um, a lot of time like traveling you're going the same places you end up the same places and i mean there are times and i've had this at times where there are people of the four people traveling with me that I'm not speaking to or aren't speaking to me. Right. And that makes it uncomfortable. I am very lucky in that on my traveling beat with, with Mark Sheldon, Bobby Nightingale, I, I think are just outstanding people and good friends of mine. And um, we've, <laughs> we've gotten together uh, recently to watch like an F1 race because mm. we all got into F1. It was like something that we watched Drive to Survive on Netflix. Have you watched that? No. It's fantastic. Um, but we watched that and like none of us really cared about any kind of racing sport before. And like we got into that with some of uh, the people who work for the Reds, Jamie Ramsey and Larry Herms and their PR department. Mm-hmm. And like and, and John Sadak, who who we kind of got John in it, who does um, for Bally Sports, the, the play-by-play for the Reds. And like we got him into it. And like that's all we talk about is F1. Um, that's like our release. Um mm. And we watch it because it's fun, and we all really enjoy F one now. And we have a text chain where, like, during the races, oh wow, we're like, you know, bagging on Larry because he likes Max Verstappen, and we all hate Max Verstappen, and you know, like, Lance Stroll is a villain, and we all make fun of Mark, thinking that Sheldon likes um, Lance Stroll because he hates him the most, but yet we then say that it's his guy and just stupid shit like that because mm. you spend time like yeah i mean i know people. i know a beat writer who's you on a, who's on a smaller beat and does not like anyone else on on that person's beat yeah that's tough that's a tough yeah. existence yeah i mean you almost have to pretend to like somebody else when yeah. you're traveling that long it, it, it's, <clears> it's hard so what what are the biggest challenge is facing the baseball association right now. Access. 
Um, and and so in 2020, obviously, it was Zoom City. Mm-hmm. And this year, there was some loosening, and it seemed like by the end of the year, people were on the field pregame. Mm-hmm. Was was that in all thirty te- all thirty cities? Yeah, that was <laughs> yes. Uh, the things that were required were required of all thirty teams. And um, but sometimes there could be like, well, we had this. I uh, remember somebody tested positive, so right. We can get around it under a abundance of caution. But There's it, a lot of convenient abundance of caution. But it felt like. There's still a ton of Zoom going on. Oh, there's still a ton of Zoom. Um, there's still a ton of Zoom going on. Obviously, some of the pressers for free agencies that we saw a couple weeks ago, they were Zoom. They were all Zoomers. Um, do you think that teams want to keep it this way? I think some teams do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some players do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my unpopular opinion, at least my unpopular with probably most of the base players, is that players should not have to talk to you. But the thing is, they don't have to talk to us. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I go in there and somebody can tell me to fuck off and I go, all right, I'm going to fuck off. Right. Um, I I think it's perfectly fine for like Joe Second Base to go, hey, I'm not talking today. Yeah, I do too. And especially, you know, who feels that way the most are the people who are there. I mean, there are times... Especially on a smaller beat where you're like, dude had a day. Uh, it's cool. I'm, 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 I'm giving it to you. But you, you know? do see writers get like pissy on Twitter. Like, you know, after blowing the save, Johnny Closer yeah. left oh, the yeah. stadium. Like, well, tough shit. Yeah. <laughs> go, write yeah. Your, go write your story I, and shut I, up. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'll do. And I'll say, but I will note that Johnny Closer wasn't available for comment because mm-hmm. I'm not giving him a pass. I wanted to know why or mm. what. Um, I think relievers are in a tough spot. Because That's we horrible. Only talk horrible to, we only talk to them then. Right. Um, and there, it's, I don't know. I've dealt with some great ones. Of course. You know. um, but I just think, like, there, there are players who love dealing with the media, and there's players uh-huh. who hate dealing with the media. And I feel like they should make those choices. I agree. I, I honestly, like, I mean, that's not... I think the access should be there... Um, uh, and allow them to have that outlet. Mm-hmm. Here's my thing. And this is what I say to players all the time. Is we're going to write about something. If we have clubhouse access, you know that that's when we're going to bug you. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to follow you to the bar. Like they do the, the English um, press will. Like right. the paparazzi will. Because there's no access. The baseball stuff happens in the baseball point. Um, and I'm going to talk to somebody and write something. Something. Do you want me talking to you about you and your career and what you're doing? Or do you want me to talk to Kevin Mather? Because Kevin mm-hmm. Mather will talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who aren't don't remember, Kevin Mather is a former president of the Seattle Mariners who spoke candidly. A, yeah, a, episode uh, episode one special guest Ryan Dizzer talking about the yeah Kevin Mather I mean, comments. So like, oh yeah, if you want, listen, if that's the side of the story you want, and that's all I have available, that's all I got. You know, um, I think there are people who understand. I've I had a long conversation with um, players who you know, like talking to Joey Votto about it, and Joey saying. You know, I think it's important. It, it, it <laughs> players want the game sold. 
Mm -hmm. They're saying, oh, MLB is bad at selling this product. And yet you're going to hand it all over to them? Mm -hmm. You know, I think... Like, we do different stories that are fun that we get not... I, I see all the time people like, well, all you do is ask this. No, that's all you see us do ask. Mm. I mean, you, you've been around. Like, most of my work has nothing to do with the game. It is building a relationship. Right. You build a relationship before the game. If, <clears throat> and if I just, had to and choose... And you're, you're not just there getting quotes. Right. If I had to choose, and I certainly don't want to, between pregame access and postgame access... It is so easy I would choose pregame. Every oh, time. yeah. <clears throat> that I'm there, that I know the name of Joey Votto's dog because I've been there. You know? Right, right. Um, and that's where I get kind of different fun stories. There are stories that people love and will be, oh, this is great. This is so much better than the, you know, day-to-day gamer stuff. And it's like, yeah, but you have to put in the work there. Right. That's where this is developed. It's... <laughs> Yeah, I love the the apple, but you have to plant the apple tree. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you have to water it. You have to do whatever. The fruit's great, but there's work along the way. And that's part of the access. And I think baseball is great because we are there every day. Right. Um, because we are in spring training. Spring training is, oh my God, it's so valuable to be there six weeks. Not because who gives a shit what somebody does. But yeah, it's, it's the, in, in, yeah in the access training. of spring training is pretty... The access, and also, it's great. there's no stakes mm-hmm. for the majority of players. Mm-hmm. You know, for the younger players, there are stakes. And for maybe some older ones who are hanging on or whatever. But for the most part, for those under contract, on big league contracts, there's no stakes. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. can relax. They can talk. We can, you know, we can learn things about people and have silly conversations, but build that trust where they know you, you know them. And honestly... That's where we see you as a person, as a human being, as opposed to someone on a Zoom call. Right. You are three-dimensional when you when we see you in the clubhouse. Um, we see you in spring training on the backfield. You are two-dimensional on a Zoom call. And Zoom calls allow for zero nuance. You know, there are certain things that people will say to you, like, hey, I can't say this out loud, but this is what's going on. Yeah, sure. And you can then be nuanced in what you're writing, whereas you're not going to betray that person. No, you treat it as found knowledge. But, yes. I now know this. I now know this. And that can influence... I mean, I go back to... I think I've told this on story on one of your podcasts before. <clears throat> but this was as the manager many years ago, early in my career, that he sent some somebody up and he had a big... Big bat on the bench um, that he didn't use in the ninth inning, trailing, whatever. And I said, "Hey, why didn't you? Why didn't you like? Why didn't you put Joe Blow in?" And he's like, "No, nah, I just didn't. Um, I didn't want to." And so mm-hmm. I rip him. Why would you never put Joe Blow in it? Right? All this the next day. So say we do our pregame media with the manager, and this is the manager, but this could happen with players too. And, and he says, "Hey, Trent, can you hold behind?" Yeah, yeah. He's like, what would you have done last night? I was like, I'd put Joe Blow in. I said, what if before the game, Joe Blow told you, I can't hit off lefties right now. You put me up against there, I can't take the bat off my shoulder. Right. And I go, well, I wouldn't hit Joe Blow then. Mm -hmm. Right. 
you know, those are things you know, context. And it taught me long ago that as much as I think I know, I don't know. Right. And, and I mean, I'm sure you saw this even more being behind the curtain at all. That there's oh, a yeah. lot of stuff that just the people who are there are, for the most part, are not idiots. Right. And the people that they're dealing with are also human beings and not stratomatic cards. 100%. Yeah. And it just is, it's, you have to understand that. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have the access, we're writing about stratomatic cards. Yeah. And I don't think that's good for the, I don't think that's good for Major League Baseball. And I don't think that's good for the Major League Baseball players. You know, for Major League Baseball, without access, what have we written about? We've written about the economic situation. We've talked, we've written about sign stealing. We've said, like, scandal of the day. I'm not writing about baseball. Mm. I want to write about baseball. I want to talk to Joey Votto. And luckily I got to do this once we had, I mean, this is this was just a silly thing. But I think a lot of people liked it. But when we had some some access that was more not Zoom, everybody's going to get it. I said, "Hey Joey, I noticed you're using a different brand of bat this year." And I wrote like, "What I do with Joey a lot of times is like whatever he says is going to be more interesting than what I say." So I just run a Q and A. But I wrote like you know I did like twelve twelve hundred words on on his bats and what he looks for in a bat, and it was fascinating. And then <clears throat> one of our other writers um, read that and said, hey, I have an idea. I'm, I'm curious about this. Is it okay if I write this? And I was like, oh, yeah, I have these ideas. And he's like, you want to write this together? And we have this story coming out in January, I think, because these things are kind of um, scheduled now. Mm-hmm. But the story is written, but it's about Joey Votto may be the last player to use an ash bat in major league baseball oh wow yeah because i did this story that caught his eye that was like hey you're using marucci this year not you vote use louisville slugger your entire career he said yeah louisville said they didn't have enough ash bats so i looked around for who had pro level ash only marucci did and i bought all of them that they had so i have Mm -hmm. a lifetime supply and so, like, it was fascinating. I wrote all this stuff about Joey Votto's bats there. And the other person's like, the next level. And we looked at it. And it's like, yeah. I, was, I asked Joey. I was like, do you know anybody else who, who uses Ash? And he goes, I think Longoria. And then, like, we find out Longoria switched to Maple this year. And so it could be Joey Votto's the last one. Nice. I mean, but that's the kind of stuff, like. like right, right. I think that's interesting. And we don't have that. If I haven't known Joey Votto since he was a minor leaguer. And we talked about Johnny Cash in 2007 or right. eight or whatever the hell that was. And I've known him for that many years and developed this. And we can have these discussions that I then text him. You know, Joey's a, Joey's a different cat altogether. But like, you know, I talked to him this winter when he was waiting for a train back to Paris because he had gone to Stonehenge. <laughs> and so sends me this picture of him at Stonehenge because well, that's where he was and that's how Joey is and I have a relationship that Joey when will call me back from Stonehenge <laughs> but but like and then everybody's like oh man I love your Joey Votto stories well you know what without me being there after 
the one for three game, August six two Reds loss, and then the next day before the end of that series with the the Mets, I don't get those stories. Right. Nobody like. You know, people like the sausage, but don't like to see how the sausage is made. But they're not saying, "Well, you shouldn't make sausage. You shouldn't right. have access to the to pigs." And 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 yeah, I guess there are people saying that. But like, 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 we get that all the time. Like, all you ever do is ask this. No, that's all you see. Right. Um, as you Sorry, approach your waning, I don't days. even know if I answered that question. Or it's just random for everyone. Who cares? Have you yeah, heard the show you. before? It's a good point. I've heard um, it on the show before. Yeah. Um, as you enter your final days. And you reflect, or maybe, I don't know, maybe you're preparing a memoir with a multi-million dollar book deal. Yeah. Um, do you have any regrets? Yeah. I mean, there are little things. I what'd you, fu- what'd you fuck up, Trent? Oh, I fucked up plenty. Um, like, I have things that I'm just kicking the can to, that I'm sending to Larry. I have all these emails that I send to Larry. Um, I, I have emails that are on. I, so my email inbox ideally is zero i hate those little red but little red dots on the iphone mm-hmm. let's say because i use those as like i have an ocd to clear them yeah sure but i, I leave too. them there to force me to clear them right and i've i've got some um membership um one of the things um i i've had long discussions and i'm unfortunately not i haven't done anything concrete i've kind of kicked it to the curb and, and on with larry that like i've talked to meg rally and, and jj cooper about you know now that for so long um our organization is only for major league baseball people right. cover major league baseball mm-hmm. and one of the reasons was because of the loose affiliation of all the of minor league baseball minor league baseball as a company was kind of a couple of many different things with many different masters of course yeah well now it's under you know major league baseball and one of the things i did was like make sure that the people running minor league the the major league baseball there, whoever does the, um, um, the, the media relations with that says, listen, if somebody has a BBWA card, that's, that's good enough. Cause that's how it works. Mm-hmm. We have a card. I go to in best of years. Things have been a little different in COVID with whatever, whatever, whatever. But like I, I could go to Yankee stadium, never call ahead and just like walk into the press gate get scanned walk into the press box now with minor league baseball you want to give a heads up just as common courtesy mm-hmm. but it's also nice for the minor league baseball that we make sure that on all the posters and i don't think this got done for this year and i need to remind somebody that hey can you do this for next year like at the gates where they have like you know like you had a scout badge like an executive badge right and you still got a ticket but right. to say that this is honored and right. BBWA is one of those like you know because everything was changed we kind of got that ball rolling um, yeah and obviously, that sounds like a silly tiny little thing no but I, it's real just because like you know eric obviously eric long and higgins co-hosted the show one many people times, talked about this and yeah. we've and you know when we've talked on the show about how like teams you know access even this year to um you know everything from instructs honestly at times to complex league games was very yeah. confusing and yes. and it, confusing inconsistent um and at times really just kind of wrong where some people were getting and some people oh. weren't um you know and so i almost got arrested this year it's, <laughs> i got threatened to be arrested in st louis <laughs> no I, I i'm not even kidding um um 
like we were in St. Louis and um, part of the thing was we negotiated and we talked and all this from Major League Baseball and people were like, well, safety, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And that we had, okay, I have 90 minutes from when the final Zoom to when I have to be out of the press box. Well, St. Louis Cardinals are very good at many things. Media relations is not one of them. They're 30-30. And so we're at a game. The Reds haven't even finished Zooming, and they say, hey, it's going to be closed in an hour. And I said, it is not. <laughs> we are not finished Zooming, and I have 90 minutes after that. I will let you know when I can leave if you don't want to stick around. And You're listening to the Trent Rosencran Outburst Hour. <laughs> yeah. Where C. Trent just tells stories about his outbursts. I'm really a nice person, I swear. But like, so the security card comes and just starts yelling at me. I just said, I'm not leaving. And he says, well, I'll have you arrested for trespassing. And I said, okay, that's cool. Um, when the cops get downstairs to come get me, could you at least just have them give me a call? Or could you give me a heads up so I could pack my stuff? And it's just yeah. easier for everybody. And he's like, um, well, I'll turn off the power. I'm like, that's cool, man. I've been changing. I've been charging my laptop all night. I got enough battery power. I, I got to be out at 12.08. I'll be out by 12.08. But you're not making me get out at, at 11.30. Because that's not how it works. And, um, you know, the, the head of security for the Cardinals complained to... My boss, I got a call from my from Emma Span telling me not to get arrested. Um, I was a little actually, you know, my biggest regret was that I didn't get arrested because man, you would have been, <laughs> I would have been a freaking legend. It would have been amazing. Yeah, would have been. It would have been a much better story had I gotten arrested. Have you ever been? No. Okay. I'm I'm a nice person, and not that nice un unnice people don't not that nice people don't get arrested. Right. Um, you know. Um, oh, I yeah. do. <laughs> I know you do. Um, so yeah, but uh, no. Um, that one was that was fun. Um, it was it was great because apparently Gould like warned them. So like Trent's coming. This has been an issue, and I'd been kind of tipped off that it was an issue. So I was a little right anyway. But You're it was ready. like it was almost you, like you oh, walked in ready to go. <laughs> That's but crazy. I also needed to finish writing. It was you had a job yeah, to do. I had a job to do, and um, yeah, it was it was good times. Uh, it's time for a moment of culture, C. Trent. Awesome. What do you got? Okay, I as we spoke about earlier, podcasts are a fun way to pass the time. You learn new things. You have good friends that you kind of make. There is a podcast that I adore and. It is kind of dumb. That's is, fine. We need more dumb the, things in this world. It is the called the Doughboys podcast. Okay. I, I've is, never heard of this. Okay. It is two, like, well, like, they've written comedy once an actor. They've also acted. Uh, Mike Mitchell and um, Nick Weiger. And they review chain restaurants. And it is. Wait, so the whole podcast is just chain restaurants? Oh yeah, like yeah. like 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 Applebee's, Chili's, kind of. Yeah, um, yes, and Arby's and what have you. Panera Bread. Panera Bread. Oh yeah, you, you're on it, man. And it is. I used to travel the country as a scout. I know my chain restaurants pretty well. Yeah, and so it is just the silliest thing, and like 
for for half the time, it's just kind of in jokes and these two friends making fun of each other and picking on each other and talking about how dumb their podcast is. And that's for like the first 45 minutes. And then there's like another 20 talking about the, 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 uh, the restaurant of the week. Um, this <laughs> week was, they have a guest every week. Uh-huh. Um, this week they did not review a full restaurant, but they did the McPlant, which is the Beyond Burger at McDonald's. Oh, okay. They, and, they, they just reviewed a dish. Uh, they just reviewed a dish. Usually it's a, it's a restaurant. Um, uh, but okay. So these come out every Thursday. I've already listened to the hour and a half podcast today. Um, because it's the first thing I do on Thursdays. They also have a Patreon where you get an extra dish on Tuesdays. This week's Tuesday was probably the nadir of, of, of Doughboys. I have uh-huh. to say it was well worth your Patreon money, uh-huh. my Patreon money. Um, they'd gotten an email like you they get emails from from listeners about this incident like eight years ago about someone eating someone else's hot dog the person who had had his who had eaten the hot dog and was the like villain of the story the guy wrote in about then emailed back and then they did a whole serial type um, parody (laughs) of this half eaten half hot dog whereas like they even contacted um, the maker of the hot dog in Buffalo, and they cooked the hot dogs. It, it just—it's all just ludicrous, stupid, and hilarious. Um, I don't know. I love the Doughboys. Doughboys the, podcast. Doughboys podcast. Check it uh, out, kids. Yeah. What you got, KG? I have a television show. Um, that is on Adult Swim of all things. It's the only thing oh, I watch great. on Adult Swim. And it is, uh, each episode is 10 to 15 minutes long. It's called Joe Para Talks With You. Joe Para is a uh, a strange comedian uh, who kind of plays himself and or his character of Joe Para. I'm not sure if how much of a separation there is between those two things. Um, And he lives in in, in UP, in Upper Peninsula, Michigan. Oh, nice. Um, and it's about his strange little life. And he's just this, uh, he's a, 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 a music teacher at a, at a elementary school. And he's just this very, uh, soft spoken, quiet, wonderful man. And just, and everything about the show, there's always like this tiny strange of strain of weirdness to it, but the overwhelming aspect of it is just really, really sweet. And it's just the vibe we need these days. And it's, it's, it's very funny. It's one of the best shows on television. That's great. I'll check it out. And like, that's one of the things like even is, you know, Nick and and Mitch like haggle and yell at each other and pick at each other. There's a love there. And that's what Mm -hmm. I love about something like that's one of the things about podcasting, especially as we've been separated from people over the last years to just remember what it's like to hang out with people that you do love and that you enjoy spending time with. Like, I mean, and I'm lucky that, that you call me up and say, Hey, can you got three hours to dedicate to a podcast? <laughs> and like, yeah, I have a three hour window on yeah, Thursday. Why it. wouldn't I? And I get and to spend that with you who, who like normally I would get to see at this time. And right. And it's, it's nice. I consider you a friend. Um, and so it's, 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 it's just great. And so it's just a good, and like, you know, it's just a little, like, you know, he has this sweet, quiet spoken girlfriend who kind of has a vibe similar to him, but she also happens to be a doomsday prepper. 
you know, and uh, but uh, it's 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 like the mo- it's just the most charming show. Um, and it has like all these. It's just filled with like really wonderful, touching, poignant moments while also being funny. I think it's absolutely one of the best things on television. Joe Parra talks with you. See, Trent, I think we're done here. Kevin, Kevin as the one, as the one person who consistently calls calls you C Trent. Oh, everybody calls me C Trent. I want to it's thank weird. you. I want to thank you for wasting your time. Your your Thursday afternoon with me. Hey, it was only two hours and thirty seven minutes. If if people want, to, we'll see what ends up when we when we actually put it together. Uh, if you want to follow you on Twitter, they go to C Trent. That Easy makes enough. sense to me. Oh, it's great. It's I, I got onto it early. Yeah. Um, and like so long ago. I had been trying for more than 20 years now to get ctrent.com, but for the longest time, and I think that may still be, like I said a thing where I, for many years where I have a Google cow when their um, runs out, um, their their license runs out. Mm-hmm. I, you know, look up the who is domain stuff and how right. long the license is, and I set a reminder 10 years in advance. Um, to remind me to check on the availability of C-Trent. But it was like a Connecticut rental company for so long. <laughs> and I like I can't even be mad. They're not squatters like Lindor.org. I mean, they're a Connecticut rental pl- place. Sure. CT-Rent. Yeah, it's, uh, someone has KevinGoldstein.com. And it's just, it's it's been, they've had it forever. And it's just, it's just like this dude's resume. And he does like IT work of some kind. C-Trent.com is for sale. Mm-hmm. It's time. Let's see. So I'm gonna take my fifty dollar minimum. I wonder what the minimum is going on. You're listening to domain shopping with <laughs> Kevin and Trent. But uh thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks to see Trent again. Thanks to the great band rid of me for the music. And we'll talk to you next week. We'll figure out what to do. This show's long enough, so, so don't complain. We'll show keeps going, we'll keep going. Baseball will be back at some point. And I'll be listening, unless it's trails.